Hello, 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 hello. Are we good? We good? We good? We good? Yes, we are good. This is episode 13 of that one Vatos podcast. I'm your illustrious host, sports guy, Jose. And this is episode 13. 13. 13. And my next guest is a handsome journalist. He's brown. He's from the West Side. <laughs> Some of you know him as sports guy. Some of you know him as Luis. Some of you know him as just Jose. My next, <laughs> my next guest is myself. <laughs> but you do hear another voice, and that voice is Vincent T. Davis from episode 10. Yes, right? sir. That was episode 10? Yeah. I think so. Say what's up, Vince. What's up, Vince? <laughs> so Vince is going to pretty much ask me the questions that you guys wanted me to answer. He's going to ask questions that he wants answered, and we're all going to win here. Because finally... It's the episode for myself. So what's up, Vince? What you got for me, man? Well, you know, there's... It's weird um, being on this end. Uh, well, that's okay. Now you're in the hot seat. <laughs> you need to answer some questions. Let's go. Inquiring, I'm ready. P- inquiring minds want to know, right off the bat, first question. Mm-hmm. How did you start the podcast? That was pretty easy. Um so I've been wanting to start one for a minute now. Um, I put, I, I coined the question, I, I posed the question, was it about a year ago? Hey, would you hear me if I started a podcast and got a nice reception from that? And I thought to myself, well, maybe someday. And then my buddy Albert, who was on episode one, um, Albert Gonzalez, he was thinking about starting one. And I thought to myself, Hmm, should I start one with him? I was like, nah, I want to do one on my own. So we decided to start our our own individual podcast. So I started using his his studio. But I asked him, I was like, I don't know what to do. Because we recorded, we used this microphone and everything. I didn't know how to upload an episode to Spotify or to iTunes. So I was thinking to myself, how the hell do I do this? So I, I texted Albert after I recorded his episode. How the fuck do you get this up, dude? And he said, hey, there's this um, this app called Anchor. It takes you to your streaming services. So that's pretty much how I started. I I was crapping bricks. Because the first episode was supposed to be me, me introducing myself to the whole world. And I was scared. And Albert and his, uh, his now wife, Caroline, were sitting there. And they were looking at me. And I told them, hey, Albert, I need you to sit right here. And I need you to talk to me. Because... I'm good at playing off of people, but I can't do this by myself. And that's why I couldn't do this one by myself <laughs> either. Even though we're 13 episodes in, I can't do this one by myself. So the follow-up question to that is, how did you come up with the name? Oh, the name. I was thinking to myself, what would I name it? And this is going to be a funny story. Prior to me starting this podcast, I was going to record one with my coworker at the time when I worked at Draft House. His name is Patricio. And we recorded it together. And um, I'm really big on um, my intuition. And it, we had a nice conversation, but he's he's an over-talker. Um, that's just how he is, and it's no knock to him. Um, and I just didn't want that to overshadow the episode or just or just overshadow the podcast itself. It sounded like he's, like, over-talking me. So I opted to not do it anymore with him. We did it, like, one episode, and it was cool. And I remember the names we were coming up with. They were really cool names. And I'm not going to say them just in case he chooses to use them in the future. Sure. 
So I was thinking to myself, what can I use for this one? And for some reason, I wanted, I was like, body oil or something? I was like, no. Well, there's this one podcast in Houston, and I'm mad at them. They have this podcast called The Body Oil, uh, no, Boys in the Body Oil, but it's in the Boys in the Hood font. Ah. Oh, man, I was so pissed. I was like, these guys are awesome. <laughs> there's another podcast in California that had a cool name, and I was thinking to myself, I got to do something that's, that says this is him. So I was like, mm, that one, mm, mm, hmm. let's use Vato in there. You know, let's, let's mm, that one, that one Vato's podcast, that sounds stupid. And then I, I don't know who it was that I, I basically <laughs> pitched it to a homie. I was like, hey, how does this sound? They're like, that's dope. And I was like, all right, I'm going to keep this in. It's catchy. So shout out to whoever that was. Because it's, it's funny because you think about it, it's like, hey, Whose podcast is that? Oh, that one Vato's podcast. You know, just in case you forget. Oh, sure. Este Vato, what's his name? I don't know. That one Vato's podcast, whatever. Well, you nailed <laughs> it. You nailed it on that one. Um, <clears throat> what has been your favorite interview to date? Interview? Oh, man. Podcast or print? I do both. I'll, I'll talk about both. Okay. No, I don't want to talk about both because if I talk about the podcast, people are going to be like, what? I don't want my... Because <laughs> the podcast one, those are all fun in, in their own right. Okay, what about um, So, As far as... I think... Damn, that's tough. One of the first interviews early on that was great, it was with a public figure, was Emmett Smith. Um, I remember I was interning for La Prensa, mm-hmm. and I was trying to find a story. I mean, all my stories, they were mine. Um... So I was looking up events, and I saw this one event called Luncheon with the Living Legend. And it was an MD Anderson event, and MD Anderson's the cancer, you know, uh, doctor. Right. Out of Houston. So he would have an event every year, and he would have a, he would basically have a public figure that he knew people would want to show up mm-hmm. to, to see. So that year was Emmett Smith, and the moderator was Sean Elliott. So I reached out to MD Anderson's PR folks. Yeah, sure. Come come on. And I was like, what the hell? And I was 20 years old at the time. I was I was dumbfounded that, I guess, because of publication or just the way I composed the email. I don't know. So I went, and it was just myself, um, KSAT, and Ken's Five. And um, they were both TV reporters. So, man, they just took forever with their damn interviews. And it was annoying. I'm like, bro. You're only going to use, like, two minutes of this damn interview. Like, why is it this long? (laughs) And even the PR people were getting upset. They're like, hey, wrap it up already. Mm -hmm. And and I know who the reporter was. It took forever. Uh, I'm not going to say his or her name, but it's definitely a guy. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the PR lady, I think her name was Allison. Alice or something along those lines. She was super sweet. They even sent me a letter afterwards after covering it. They sent me like, hey, thanks for covering this. Mm-hmm. She's like, hey, you can have him for as long as you want. She's like, I'm really sorry it took this long. Because I was, I was supposed to be the first person. And I was like, you know what? They're TV people. They have to set up their whatever. I mean, I just have my phone that I'm going to audio record. So whatever. So we, it was me, myself, and or me, Emmett. And his PR person, she was just chilling in the corner of the, this big old hotel. Mm-hmm. So he was sitting across from me, just the way you and I are. I'm like, holy shit, this is Emmett Smith. I'm not even a Cowboys fan, but I know this guy has 
and his his aura was like oh, this yeah. guy's a hall of famer he's a winner at everything at every level mm-hmm. of his sport he won dancing with the stars like what the hell <laughs> i remember the first question i asked him was i still remember i i have the audio recording i said how does it feel to be considered a living legend and he said i'm just happy to be living and he started to go on how this event hit home to him he had family members that dealt with cancer i was like man that was and it was a great interview. He was super sweet to me. Uh, he was nice. That was one of my that was one of my favorites at that time. That was in 2015. That hmm. was that was a while back. Okay. That was four years ago already. After that, I don't remember an interview in 2016. I guess. Oh, that same year was Shea Serrano actually. Ah. Okay. Yeah, and I I, used, I wrote it in a poem one time because I was boasting. I was like talking mad shit in this poem. <laughs> I was like, yeah, in a span of three weeks, I interviewed Tony Parker, Emmett Smith, um, Sean Elliott, and Shea Serrano. What's up? <laughs> so I remember that interview with Shea. It was in the end of October, well, going into November because the NBA season had just started. It was literally opening day. The Spurs, I played the Thunder. The Rockets were playing somebody that day. I don't know who it was, but... Um, we scheduled it for a Tuesday and then Shay couldn't do it on a Tuesday. So I moved to a Wednesday and I was thinking to myself, I just barely started driving a year and a half ago. I don't trust myself driving to Houston cause I was supposed to go with my best friend, but sure. he asked for Tuesday off. Mm-hmm. Shay moved it to Wednesday. So he was working Wednesday and I thought to myself, damn, I don't want to drive. So I took a bus and a cab out there. I left my car at home and I took a bus and a cab out there and, um, Shay had asked me, he's like, hey, and we met at a taqueria in Southside Houston. Um, and Shay had asked me, how'd you get here? Because I had, I think I had, I guess I um, ratted myself out. I was like, oh, yeah, my cab's almost there or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, that's what he asked me. He's like, how did you get out here? I took a bus in a cab. He's like, the fuck, really? Because <laughs> he was really pushing for the interview to be over the phone. Sure. And I was like, no, man, like, I like to interview in person. Um, I was like, I want to go to Houston anyways. So there we go. There's my excuse. He's like, all right, whatever. So we talked for an hour, man. We, you know, this is when his rap yearbook just came out, and mm-hmm. it was a New York Times bestseller. And they they had predicted him, projected him to, to like, hey, if you can get twelve hundred pre sales, that's a win. Like we did our job. And he's like, fuck that, I can do more than that. And sure okay. enough, he promoted the crap out of it the best way he does, uh-huh. like the only way that he knows how to do it, and it became a New York Times bestseller. That's probably his. Still his top-selling book out of all three, if I'm not mistaken. The first? The first one, the rap year book. Mm-hmm. He did a first book called um, The Rap Coloring Book. He did that with Bun B. Mm. That one did okay. He still didn't have that kind of status. And then people were like, Bun B did a coloring book with this guy? Like, who is this guy? So that was another fun interview. Um, which one was another one? Damn. There's so many. MLK. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Mother Mondaine. She's a sweetheart. MLK 2018. I still remember that. Uh, I had ran into you afterwards, and I told you yeah. that I hadn't met her. Mm-hmm. I had just finished my contract with Follow Media at the time. And if you don't know what Follow Media was, it was a nonprofit news organization that focused on inequality. Uh, we did some great work there. I was there for nine months. Um, some of my best stories were there. But Mother Mundane, she's this woman that lives on MLK. 
She used to pick cotton in West Texas in the 40s. She moved to San Antonio, I believe, in the late 40s, early 50s. Um, she used to babysit in Alamo Heights. Um, but when I met this woman, she was waving at everybody. She's like, hey, baby, look at all the young people walking by. God bless y'all. Oh, my gosh. This woman just spews out, like, joy and happiness. And she has these beautiful blue eyes. Oh, my gosh. They're so beautiful. Oh, and then, huh? She has blue eyes? Yeah, she has light, light blue eyes. Okay. The only reason why I know is because I took this really nice portrait of her. And, like, her hair is, like, like super gray. Beautiful. And we were talking. And she was asking me, um, she was asking me who I was. And, you know, we were chopping it up, basically. And she's like, you want some sandwiches? I was like, no, I don't want to intrude. She's like... Oh, no, you're not intruding. And then uh, <laughs> she said, Jesus fed a thousand people with two fish and a loaf of bread. So you're not intruding. Mm-mm. And um, all these people were waving. They're like, I saw you on TV the day before, Mother Mundane. She's like, oh, you did? Because I guess some news station did a segment on her, mm-hmm. how she decorates her lawn for the, the march. Every year. And... Um, yeah. I remember we were talking, and I was like, man, you're famous. And I still remember, I have it on my phone still, and she said, and look at your dimple. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, I'm so flattered. <laughs> but that one was great, because, and I wanted to do a story, but, I mean, I wasn't with the publication at the time. I was just getting ready to graduate college at A&M San Antonio. So that story, I was going to have to wait either another year or later on that year. So mm-hmm. it ended up being January again, January 2019. But I didn't go to the march. You know, we... I interviewed her like three weeks before the march. I went to her house. It was cool. We were sitting on her porch and it was raining. And she was telling me all these great stories. I asked, One of the most important ones was where, where she was when MLK was assassinated. Mm. And she was a cook at the Lubies on Main Street. Okay. She could tell you that exact address and everything. Mm. Where she was, the radio was sitting right by the kitchen. So she told me a, a detailed story. She told me a story about how... Um, they would have to go to the restroom outside. Mm. Um, in 1960. Yeah, like late yeah. in the 50s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. Like they would have to go outside to the restroom. Okay. Um, they would have to sit in the back of the bus. Yeah. Told me these compelling stories. And it's crazy. This woman is living, like she's still alive. She's here in 2019 and she experienced that. So I hate that notion where it's like, well, that, you know, that doesn't exist. I'm like, there's people alive still to this day that, you know, they experience that. And there's people alive who were the oppressors and their kids are here and their grandkids are here. Mm-hmm. And who knows what their way of thinking is. Right. Um, so I, that story was great. That was on the front page of the Metro section, which was my first front page in Metro. Uh, so that she was definitely another great interview. The Quads. The quadruplets oh, was yeah, a yeah. fun interview. It's weird. Everything happens in January. I remember that interview was the end of January as well. Mm-hmm. And I had came across these kids on Twitter, and they're they're so they're adorable. Like these four, these two boys and two girls are quadruplets, and they're just doing all this funny shit, and like they're making fun of each other. And um, <laughs> it, was, it was a really cool video. And I was like, oh, they're probably from the valley or something. Like, sure enough, I click on the profile of Maria who's a daughter and um it said or one of those she's the older sister said she's from san antonio and i was like no nah, i can't be and then i clicked on the brother's profile 
he's from San Antonio. I was like, oh my gosh, they're really from here. Like, they live here. Mm-hmm. So I messaged Juan, who's the brother, and um, I was like, hey, I'm a reporter to Express News. I saw your video. I would like to do a story on your, your family. Um, is there a way to get in contact with your, with your parents? He said, hey, let me get you in contact with my sister. She's a smart one. <laughs> so Maria was doing the talking, and then sure enough, the parents were like, yeah, go for it. So I went to their house. Now this beautiful house. And they have another house behind it. It's like a guest house. Mm-hmm. And so we interviewed him in there. And Billy, Billy was the photographer for the story. So Billy Calzada. Yeah, Billy Calzada, the, mm-hmm. the legend. Yeah. Go. We need more brown photographers. Um, so we were there, and I interviewed them. And it was such a fun interview. Like, I had you know, the four siblings sat down, and the parents were there. And I would ask them each a question. And just their chemistry is just like, the best chemistry you could ever see between siblings. Um, but you did two stories, right? I did two stories. Okay. So I did that one. That one was a front page story. Um, so we did a lot of reporting on that story. We, we It was like from February, beginning of February up until the day they graduated. Hmm. Um, the story went out the day they graduated. And I went to their graduation because I was like, I spent so much time with them. I was in their school, uh, their baseball games. And we did a FaceTime interview. A last-minute interview together, because Didi Diana Fuentes, the city editor, who's a great editor, had a lot of questions for me. So mm-hmm. um, I did a last-minute interview with them, and the story went out. I went to their graduation. Sure enough, I'm there, and uh, Marvin's shooting the mm-hmm. graduation. It was just going to be art, and <laughs> Didi texted me, "Okay, I don't need the story until tomorrow." And I say, "Wait, what? We're doing another one? <laughs> oh my gosh!" So I had to work really early the following morning, I think. I believe I did. Mm-hmm. And so, so I went to the um, graduation. I went to the graduation. And another story idea came about. I was sitting in the, um, what's it called? They have a hospitality room at graduations. Mm-hmm. So administrators, reporters, whoever can sit there. So I sat there and... I was the only one in there, and then this family of three walks in, two parents and uh, a young man. He's probably in his early 20s. They're talking to each other in Spanish, and I'm not, I'm not trying to eavesdrop. I'm just trying to, like, focus on this story that I'm supposed to write and how I'm going to go about it. And I saw they had T-shirts on. They had T-shirts of this, this little girl, high schooler. And I was thinking to myself, I really hope she's, like, in the hospital and not dead. But I didn't want to ask them. Because sure. they they seemed emotional, and then <coughs> I heard the principal talking to them, and he was talking to them in Spanish or the vice principal, whoever it was. And there he was telling them, "All right, you're gonna be in line, and then you're gonna cross the stage." And I was like, "Oh shit!" I was like, "She has to have passed." So I go to one of the one of the folks that's running the graduation, and I was like, "Hey, what's the story with this family? Like, you didn't hear?" And I said, "No, like, she was she was killed." in a drive-by and I was like wait what so I immediately um, texted Didi I was like hey we possibly might have another story here um, so I was trying to chase down the brother um, I couldn't find him and this other guy was trying to chase him down and that was his best friend hmm. so I gave him my information and I was like hey if, if he's whenever he's ready um, you know I, I heard about his sister I knew he wasn't he didn't um, follow up with me I knew he wouldn't um, but fortunately I found out the quads grew up with her 
Mm. They played soccer with her. Yeah. Um, so they grew up together, and um, I ended up going to their after party at the ranch, um, the family ranch. So I could do, uh, I was like, okay, let me just get some quotes for the quad st- follow-up story. So I'm talking to the quads. I'm talking to the mom, Maria, and she introduces me to another parent whose kid crossed the stage. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. All the parents are around the same age, and their kids are the same ages. It was weird. And she's talking to me. She was the neighbor of the young woman who got killed. Mm. So her kid, her son, also grew up with him. So it was it was really crazy. So I was able to kind of tell her story a little bit through mm-hmm. them. Um so I just, I I wrote what I could with the information that was given to me. Uh, I thought it was very important to tell that story because I want to tell her story included in there. Yeah, it's about the quads, but this girl grew up with him. Right. So it's like the quads are making history as the first quadruplets in Bear County to cross the stage in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, they're making history, but also there's a, you know, unfortunately, there's a young woman who can't cross the stage. You know, uh, so that was another, to make a long story longer, the quads interview was, was a lot of fun. Um, there's some, some very smart kids. Um, it was a fun story to write. Talking to their parents, too. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so how do you stay positive mm. in times of turmoil? That is a great question. I don't know. <clears throat> Growing up, I um I don't know I used to guess my mother because mm. she went through a lot of crap uh, like her first husband was like a very abusive person um she's the baby of her family that a baby of 12 siblings um I saw the way she got treated even by my father um but she she somehow like was able to maintain her composure. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we always looked at her like, yeah, she, she, she's our leader. Like, you know, she's going to get us through this. Um, so I guess seeing her go through what she went through and um, understanding that, you know, everything's basically not, I mean, everything's temporary, you know, whatever it is that you're going through. Very true. Um, it's temporary. You're going to get through it. My, my issue is I overthink a lot. So when stuff happens, I think the worst of everything. I think the worst of everything. Mm-hmm. I get scared. I start to um, come up with crazy scenarios. Oh, man. If this happens, this is going to happen. And then I'm going to have to deal with this. Or I've seen this story a million times through cousins or aunts and uncles or peers. It's like, man, do I, do I really want to deal with this right now? My overthinkings, my... My downfall, but it's also uh, my greatest ally whenever I'm contemplating doing something stupid. <laughs> so you're able to go through the complete cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I, 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 growing up as a, as a teenager, growing up, especially when my mom died, I was like, okay. She was a woman that, you know, kept us, that, was, that made it, that, that always, I don't know how to explain how she, what her role was the way I want to at the moment. But she was the reason why we knew everything was going to be all right. Mm-hmm. So when she was gone, I was thinking to myself, damn, like, who can I go to now? 
Like, who can I seek for that comfort that everything's going to be okay? Well, that leads me to the next question, because I'm not trying to answer your question for you, Mm -hmm. but it seems just from our friendship and time together that it's your mother who motivates you. Mm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. There's stuff in my pocket. It's bothering me. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, she definitely motivated me because everything that she went through, mm-hmm. I feel like every young man's dream, especially when you have like a single parent, you want to like, you want her to give her a life where there's no stress or no worries, which is impossible. But like when you're young, you believe that you can provide that as her son. So everything that you you do is for her, for your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just speaking for myself and from, you know, some peers who were in similar situations with single moms. Right. So for her, everything that I did, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go to college. Going to college was my thing. Like, I don't, I don't remember anyone in my family saying, you're going to go to college. Right. Maybe my uncle, um, but it wasn't ever something that was concrete. But my my older sister Evelyn, she she dropped out at sixteen. My sister Ernestine, she graduated from medicine, went straight to the work field. Mm-hmm. I was the next in line, so I was like, okay, I have a little sister. I was like, I'm going to college. Like, there's there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt that I'm going to go to college. So, um, dang, I went off track. Um, but yeah, my mother always motivated me. I was like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to give my mom a great life. And then when she died. When I was 15, it's like, okay, where's our motivation now? Like, like she, it, w- it was crazy because l- literally a month before she died, we had just maybe a month and a half. We got this nice apartment um, for the first time of her being back on her feet. Mm-hmm. Um, had my own room for the first time. It was amazing. I was like, man, mom's happy. I'm happy. Like, this is great. Like, this was my white picket fence and two-story home, this two-bedroom apartment mm-hmm. on the west side. I was excited, and then a month and a half later, she passes away out of nowhere. And so when she passed away, it's like, well, what's our motivation now? Mm-hmm. How Like, wh- where is it? And um, that whole summer, summer 2010, I was just contemplating, okay, what what I do now? What, what am I going to do now? So uh, my uncle had planted the journalism seed in my head two years prior when I was 13. Okay. This is answering another question. Uh-huh. He planted the journalism seed in my head, and I, and I thought to myself, okay, let's see if Robert, you know, I went from Burbank to Lee. I was like, you know, let's see if Robert E. Lee has a program. And sure enough, they had one of the best programs there. So I was like, I'm going to pursue journalism. And I just started churning out stories like crazy. They were bad stories. But damn, I was writing anything that I saw. I was covering, I was covering um, the FIBA, the FIBA um, tournament. So Team USA, um, it was our first time winning the gold medal in years, and it had like KD, it had like Rondo. It had, it, had, it was a stacked team, and um, like these these players that were emerging into superstars. Mm-hmm. This is twenty ten, and I was remember I was writing a story about it, and. All I would write about is pro sports. I, I wrote, like, maybe one story about Lee sports because they sucked. <laughs> but I remember writing that story, just writing stories every almost every other day. I, might, I wrote 50 stories that wow. that semester or that whole school year, my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. 
but I was trying to figure out what was my motivation and I would listen to music. I remember at that time, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy came out with Kanye, which is a great album. Um, Wake Up by John Legend and The Roots came out, which that that yeah. is like one of the first albums to make me cry like a baby. Yeah, that's a, that's a slam one. I mean... Like Little Ghetto I Boy? listen to it. I Little Ghetto Boy. Yeah. The intro to Little Ghetto Boy and then just yeah. going into Little Ghetto Boy. Yeah. I remember being on the bus and listening to that and I, I fucking cried. Um, but... Around that time, I think my sophomore year is where I started to figure out, okay, my sisters are my motivation now. Because they're, mm. all, they're all I have left. Right. I got my little sister. Um, she's At that time, she was an annoying little girl. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved her. I mean, I remember seeing her at my mom's funeral. Uh-huh. My mom was cremated, and then we had a, they had a slideshow for her. I remember her crying um, during my mom's slideshow, and that, like, destroyed me as a brother. Mm. Um, I remember... Um, it was my little sister Jacqueline and then it was her cousins Julia and Kathleen and Deandra they're around, around the same age as her I remember they're, them hugging her and I'm just staring there like feeling helpless I'm like what the fuck can I do like how, how can I I can't even help myself how can I help my little sister or help my older sisters right um, so that became my motivation and then um, more nieces and nephews came into the picture they started to be my motivation for the longest time when I started college. Um, I started to read a lot of self-help books. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember my senior year, I started to listen to Les Brown, who's a motivational yes. speaker. Yes. Uh, there's a guy named Eric Thomas, uh, Tony Robbins, all these people, Zig Ziglar, um, Jim Rohn. Jim, Jim, Jim Rohn? I think that's his name. Sportscast? No, no, no. That's Jim Rome. Oh, okay. But I think there's, a <laughs> there's another one. Jim Rohn with an N. Ah, I, I forget his name. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's the Herbalife guy, whatever. But um, I would do that, and I remember um, they would pose the question, common theme. One of their, whenever they would do a seminar, what's your why? Why do you do what you do? Um, you know, what motivates you? Because when there's times of turmoil, right, you're gonna look to them. They're gonna be your staff. They're gonna be your rod, and they're gonna help you get through that. Because it's like, if I quit, you're letting down all these people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they need you. Whether they don't, whether they realize it or not, they need you. And like my little sister, it's like, because when I started college, I didn't know how to do college. I winged it throughout high school. And I remember I took a May semester after my freshman year. I failed it. I took a history class, summer one. Um, I basically failed that, but I dropped it before I could fail. Um, this was summer of 14. And um, it was awful, Um, but I just kept thinking about my little sister, thought thought about my little nephew who was born when I graduated high school, Mm -hmm. my little nephew Ramses. It's like, you gotta think about these people. Um, But they're my motivation at this moment. Um, Obviously, my mom's already proud of me. She she always tell me as a kid, even when I was like, what the fuck is she talking about? Like, like, Mijo is doing well in school, he's running track, he's playing basketball, and I'm like, okay, I'm doing normal kid shit. she saw something that I didn't see in myself right. as a 14, 15 year old. Sure. So looking back at it, it's like, I get it. You know, I get it now. Um, but yeah, that's my motivation. And also my motivation at the moment are the kids from the 07 zip code, 7207 zip code. Um, I've been a volunteer with, with them for the last nine years. Oh. And um, you know, now there's kid, some of the kids I used to watch over there in college. It's <laughs> fucking weird. Um. A lot of my kids that were in elementary, they're in middle school now, mm-hmm. so they're inviting me to their games. 
which is crazy. Like they, they look up to me, and uh, and it's it's just weird. And I and I and I get it because when I was a kid, I would try and find that male figure. Yeah, sure. I remember I would talk sports with this one guy who was like, the kids didn't really like him, but because he was kind of awkward when I was going there. But I knew he liked college football, so I was like an eleven year old. Um, I'm like, hey, uh, do you see, you know, um, Ohio State choke in the, you know, BCS bowl? He's like, yeah, Tim Tebow gave it to him. And it was like my first time seeing him, like, have a, like, a normal conversation. Mm -hmm. So it was cool. Like, I would try and find, and the kids come up to me. They're like, hey, sir. They're like, they know that I covered um, the Spurs for Spectrum News. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is, this is Jose. He wears fly-ass suits and he hangs out with Curry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, I guess you can see me as that, or they see me with my camera. Uh-huh. Well, that's the cameraman, or my my um, my OG Ralph. He's like, hey Pepe. He calls me Pepe, so the kids call me Pepe. <laughs> and I wear Nike all the time. They're like Nike. And then some kids will have the same shoes as me. They're like, look, I got the same shoes as you. I'm like, oh, that's so dope. <laughs> so they're definitely my motivation because some of these kids come from way worse circumstances than I did growing up. Yeah. Um, these kids they walk home like. And, like the gym closes at nine, they they will walk home on the other side of the tracks to two neighborhoods over. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like these kids shouldn't be walking home. This is nuts, and it just breaks my heart because there's only one of me. So if you're out there and if you want to volunteer and have an impact on kids, volunteer at San Juan Community Center. There's some wonderful children there that need attention, and need help. So yeah. <laughs> so um. Next question is, um, what kind of music do you listen to? <clears throat> Damn. Rap's always going to be my top genre. It'll probably be rap. Mm. Jazz after that. Tejano. And then like indie music. I like indie folk music. It's really calming. It helped me get through college too. When I need to study... Shout out Fleet Foxes. <laughs> That's a great band. They help me study a lot. Um, but right now, I'm listening to... Um, who am I listening to? There's a lot. Xavier Omar. Shout out Xavier Omar. He's a really good friend. Mm-hmm. Um, have you listened to his album? You need to listen to it. It's no, really good. Not yet. Um, there's a lot of artists that I'm listening to. I'm listening to everybody from TDE. listening to J.I.D. Um... But growing up, I would listen to anything that was on the radio because that's all I had access to. Like, I didn't have cable. And when I did get cable, I would watch BET and MTV. Um, what else would I listen to? I don't know. That's a vague question. It's like, I don't know. Vince, you don't have to go by these questions. Yeah, I went to Instagram for those questions, but... <laughs> the um, You ask whatever. This is this is your show. It's your show now. No, you know, the... Um, I'm your guest. Well, let me ask you this. So... Sure. Um, do you listen to music when you're writing? It depends. Um, it depends what kind of story. So, like, if I know there's a story where I need to hone in and not be distracted by words, mm-hmm. I'll listen to jazz a lot. So, Kamasi Washington, that's my guy. I, I listen to him all the time. Or I listen to hip-hop instrumentals. Mm-hmm. I go on SoundCloud or YouTube or whatever. But when a story has, like, a certain feel right I'll, I'll listen to that I'll listen to certain music mm-hmm. so like whenever I remember I said this on the on our episode on your episode 
Um, I covered a march one time, and I started listening to Public Enemy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fight exactly. the power, and I just kept listening to it. I was like, this is great. I love it. Like, this is going to help me get into that, that protest mood. Um, yeah, um, I, I listen to a lot of music without words um, when, I, when I write, for sure. Because I, I get distracted easily. And, and I understand that. Like, during halftime, whenever I cover a football game, because mm-hmm. I'll be covering games at 7 and my deadline's at 9.45. Yes, you heard that correctly. Two hours and 45 minutes to write a story on a football game, which has so many components. The narrative can change in a matter of seconds. So how long did it take you to get to the point where you could feel comfortable covering a game and getting your story in by that deadline? Man... I would say last year. Last year for sure. After how many, After how long? Mm, I remember the first game I did, I think it was a Jefferson football game. Mm-hmm. They gave me an SAISD game for my first game. So when I started writing um, high school sports for the Express News, um, I had actually applied for a full-time gig as covering the UTSA, <coughs> the UTSA football team. Mm-hmm. Greg ended up getting it. Um, who's a great reporter. <laughs> Vince just showed me a picture of me dressed up as Kanye. Um, so I remember the first game I got, and I was like, holy shit. It was like a 7.30 game. The deadline was, I think it was 10.45. Okay. So it wasn't too bad. But I had so much anxiety. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is going to be a bad story. I, don't, I haven't written a, 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 like a legit sports story in a year and a half. Okay. So I went down, I interviewed the coaches, whatever, interviewed a player, came back up real quick, finished the story, turned it in. Mm-hmm. And I remember Nick talking to me. Um, we we talked about my rates for my stories. Right. And um, he's like, it would have been bad, I would have given you this rate. But it was actually a really great story for it being your first time, you know. So I was like, I, mean, I want you to do, you know, two stories a week. So I was like, all right, go for it. So I started doing two stories a week. Wow. And I was getting them, getting those stories down. I was getting my rhythm down. Right. And then he gave me a Saturday game. Saturdays are the short deadlines. So the game was at 7. And last year, the, the deadline was about 10 o'clock. Okay. But that game was 9.45. And unfortunately, um, I care about people a lot. So my girlfriend at the time... There was like a quinceanera that she was gonna be at, whatever, and I was, I was like, all right, like, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, okay, let me just finish this real quick. Right. So I rushed the story, I rushed it, and um, turned it in, and it was in the Sunday paper, and it was a really bad copy. Like you could tell I rushed it, and <laughs> Mark ended up seeing it. Yeah, head honcho Mark, mm. he was upset, and Nick's like, hey, like, we're gonna take you out of the rotation for a bit. No, you can do, you can do some feature stories, but let's just let this cool off. Right. So like, all right, cool, whatever. Um, so, I was, but I was like really disappointed in myself, and I still think about that to this day. Whenever I'm writing a story, and I, I'm reading that loud to myself, and um, after that, I was like, you know what? I was like, I don't care what deadline they give me. Like, I'm gonna get this down. So how do you keep it fresh? How do you not? Because it's easy, from what I've read. Just from when I've talked to the sports guys, uh, 
that's easy to just have a formula set up. Yeah. And just fill it in with the scores and everything like that. Yeah. How do you not fall into that trap of just doing a formulaic sports story? Um, so I usually, now I like to interview the coaches before. Mm-hmm. And then I'll look at who they played prior, how they're doing this season. And they can kind of tell you the, you know, the story of what their season's going like, mm-hmm. how they're going to be going moving forward, or what that current game means to each team. Right. Um, so every every game's different. I remember Brandeis, I just covered them. They're undefeated. Mm-hmm. And they are playing Jay, which was supposed to, supposed to be a cakewalk for them, which right. it was. But he was talking about how and I asked him, I was like, hey, how do you keep your team grounded right. when you have this much success? You're undefeated. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a deep playoff run last year. How do right. you keep your team grounded? So he started telling me this story about how he read the Bible that morning, and there was something in there about you know, being grounded. Okay. And he started, He says he tries to instill that into his players. Mm-hmm. He's like, sometimes there, there's moments where they show flashes of some, um, not immaturity, but more so sure. like cockiness. Right. It's like, hey... We can lose at any moment. Like, don't get it twisted kind of thing. So the information, the phone calls ahead of time and checking on the scores and the history, mm-hmm. that's already in your story before you get, you get going. Right? I write it in my notes, actually. That's what I'm saying. But it's, yeah. it's there yeah, for yeah, you it's, it's there for at me, your yeah. disposal. Yeah. And you can weave it in as you see fit. Yeah, because I, I actually had this nice stat where Brandeis had, had scored their opponents like 340-something to 60. Mm-hmm. Like their first eight games, which is like holy shit! Like that's 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 outrageous. Right. So stuff like that, I keep it there just in case um, I'm short on word count or whatever the case is. Sure. And the word count really, it's it's I I I have keep blinders on now. Like I don't even care right. about the word count anymore. I'm like as long as this story is clean and it's good mm-hmm. and it tells you what happened, I'm fine. Because I remember my first two stories this season were, I didn't really meet the the, the word count, but they were great stories. Sure. Um, they had all the right information. But then he upped the word count, so I was like, damn, I gotta, I actually got to hit this. <laughs> so um, I try and get some nice quotes from people. Right. Um, not just for the sake of having a quote, but like a nice quote that can, that can kind of complement my, my lead. Um, Very good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So... I'm going to ask you this question while you look at those Instagram questions for me. Oh, okay. Um, where do you see yourself in five years? In five years? Damn. Oh, that's a good question, man. I honestly, you just skimmed through that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> damn. Where do I see myself in five years? I see myself as an established, like a household name. Okay. I want to be a household name by then. Mm-hmm. I know I have the trajectory. I've had people, you know, Shay says, I'm going to be a star. <laughs> <laughs> he shouted me out on his Bill Simmons podcast. Bill Simmons, who I view as a sports god, mm-hmm. um, who's who's the household name in sports. Um, I think for me, it's uh, that's, that's where I see myself. Um, that's, I don't see myself anywhere else. I don't, I don't want to see myself, um, I don't want to be covering high school sports. Not a knock to high school sports, but you know, when I'm like 29, I want to be covering something else. Okay. Um, whether it's feature stories, mm-hmm. who who knows? Whether it's 
you know, investigative stuff. Who knows? I don't know. But I want it to be where, you know, my, my name's, when you think of either sports or you think of feature writing, I want you to think of my name the way people think of you when they hear oh, that. That's generous of you. Thank you. Um, where's the one that uh, there was uh, some good questions on there that, uh, let me see, is this the one? Oh, no, about being a bad. <laughs> you got Neth out here putting inappropriate questions. What, um, what I do a podcast with my cousins. Oh, my gosh. My cousins are in this group chat, and they're just, like, going off. And I told them, I only have one mic, so that's not happening. They're like, nah, we could just trade off. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. My cousins are crazy. I have over 60 cousins on my mom's side. Wow. Yeah, that's how Mexican we are. And that's not even including their kids. Um, you ask whatever you want to ask, Vince. We already asked Instagram questions. Well, um, so we got 40 minutes of IG questions. Now it's <laughs> <laughs> um, put me in the hot okay, seat. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, one thing is, um, what do you just style from? My style? Yeah. What do you mean? Your clothing, you know, your, you know. I don't know. I've I've always been... I've always been. That's that's actually a good question. Whenever I dress myself, I don't know. I go through phases where I'm like, I'm really feeling this right now. I go, right. I want to wear this, um, but it's because like, growing up, when you didn't have much, you had to make the most of what you had. Right. So, I remember when ankle socks wasn't a thing, I would make my own ankle socks. Mm-hmm. So I would pull my sock down and I would fold it under my foot. Okay. <laughs> that right. was the hood ankle sock. Because <laughs> my parents wouldn't buy me ankle. They would buy me like the low cut ones. And I'm right. like, no, those are ugly. Like I want ankle socks. Okay. So you improvise. Okay. Yeah, I improvise. So I would wear ankle socks. Um, I would wear George a lot as a little um, elementary school kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got into Dickies. I mean, that's all you would wear in public school. And, you know, I was surrounded by a lot of gang members right. in my neighborhood. I was like, man, I want to dress like them. You know, I like I like the way they dress. I like Dickies. You know, I um, I like the you know the little polo shirt with it, whatever. So I'd, I would always starch my Dickies in okay. middle school. I would try and look nice, and then around middle school is when I went through a long like a long sock phase. Right. And nobody was. I'm not trying to say I'm a trendsetter or anything, but nobody was wearing long socks at that time. Everyone was like ankle socks were still in, and I would wear. I would wear long Under Armour socks, like football socks that would go up to like right here. Right. It looked like I was wearing like pantyhose or something. Like, but I would wear red ones because red was my favorite color. I'd wear black red. ones. Up to the knee? Up to the knee. And I would wear my my dicky shorts and I'd Couldn't wear them with sneakers. You. Couldn't talk to you. Good. Yeah, I was. I thought I was cool because I saw this one guy. He wore them one time because um, he, he was this dude in this, this, this gang. I'm not going to say his name. But I remember we were, we would walk home together, right. or he would walk his group would walk with our group of friends, and he had just came out of football practice, so he just had them on mm-hmm. with his shorts, and he threw his dicky shorts over his basketball shorts, whatever he had on. Right. And I'm like, damn, that looks dope. Sure enough, I started wearing it, and I remember this other dude, he was a blood. He came up to me, he's like, dude, that looks fresh. He's like, he's like, I'm not gonna try and copy you, bro, but he's like, that looks dope for real. Okay. And I was because I was wearing the red long Under Armour socks. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then I leave. I leave the west side to go to the north side, with my aunt and uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll get into this since we're here already. So the end of my sixth grade year, we live with my grandmother. 
let me go back a little bit further. So 2005, uh, my parents had already been divorced for almost a year. Mm-hmm. My mother got stuck with a house. And we're living off of 127 Huerta, right there off of um, it's Huerta and I believe Calles. Calles or Cibolo, one of those streets. I always get those two streets confused because they intersect. But we lived there, and I remember um, everyone knows this story. I, I hope you all know the story by now, but that summer our electricity got cut out. And I remember when it got cut out vividly because I remember waking up that morning. i ready to watch my Saturday morning cartoons, and TV doesn't work. So I go for the light switch. The light switch isn't working. I was like, maybe the bulb's out, whatever. Go to the fridge. The fridge is out. I'm like, okay, this is not good. So then we realized we're, our electricity was cut out. Mm. So that whole summer, no electricity, um, which was a challenge. And that was, I think that was one of the moments where my mother displayed how to be positive in a in a moment of turmoil. Right. Because we, we improvised. We got a nice chest, filled it with ice. We put sandwich meat in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we put drinks in there, whatever. Keep it refrigerated. We dump it probably every day or every other day. I, I don't remember that specifically because um, I didn't really have to worry about that. Right. Um, but I remember I'd be in my room or my sister's room, but she hadn't moved out by then. Um, and that was another moment where I was like, oh, I'm going to get my first room and, you know, our lights get cut out. But my sister had gave me this black spawning basketball. It had these green strips and they would glow in the dark. Mm-hmm. And, and that was my source of light. Um, the little candles that we would have in the corners whenever we need to go to the restroom. Um, it was crazy. That, that whole time was, was just crazy because that's, um, that's when my mother started to develop her pill addiction. I guess life got to her. Um, and I always, after going to therapy for, for a year, I, I understood my mother was depressed. Um, uh, I, I talked about it with, with Kelly's mother, um, Brenda, um, talking about how when you know your parents can't provide for you financially, right. mm-hmm. um, you don't burden them with that. Like you don't want them, you don't want them to tell you no. Right. You know the answer is no, so, like, why bother? Mm-hmm. And why put them through that? So they can, like, I don't want them to hurt even more. Like, I already see that she's hurting. So um, so my mom, she, you know, she, she's like, we're going to get through this, whatever. But, I mean, her pill addiction is, like, what really destroyed me as a kid because when you see how drugs affect somebody and they're, like, a shell of themselves. Yeah. It's like, that's not you. Like, this isn't, this isn't the person that I know. Um, so we ended up losing the house. We moved to my my grandma's. She lived on Potosí, right there by the handball courts, mm-hmm. right down the street from Cooper Middle School, which is now an academy for people who went their GED. Okay, I forget, but I remember us living there for two years. Yeah, we lived there for two years. We lived there, and my April of two thousand seven, I was already in sixth grade. I was going to Cooper. That's when my style was changing. <laughs> That's when I was wearing the Tupac shirt with the black dicky pants. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, you know, so there's a um, there's a role that you have uh, established <clears throat> here at the paper. Yeah. And I'm gonna say San Antonio, media-wise, as a chronicler. 
That's not a good way. I don't know where the <laughs> heck that came from. Um, as someone who is from the West Side, and you do tell the stories, the chronicles of the West Side, and these are stories that are out there for any journalist who, if they took the time to go and search and look for it, could probably find. Yeah. But these are like part of the, the undiscovered stories, these gems that you um, that you have uncovered or that you're revealing mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. How does that make you feel? Um, I wish it would have happened sooner. Like, I wish somebody would have taken that role. I mean, it's cool to be that guy, but I just wish it would have happened sooner. There's so many stories that could have been told when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some, like, I didn't know in the mid-90s the Texas Monthly wrote a story on oh, yeah, my, my Uncle Jimmy who um, who died in 07, mm-hmm. uh, the same year that my grandma died. But I remember he, um, there was a picture of him, I think it was in front of Guadalupe Cocho Arts for mm-hmm. La Prensa. They had did a story on him, I guess, or they did a story and he was just a guy in front of, I don't, I don't remember. But I remember that story um, I read it two years ago when I was doing research for another one. Mm. And I'm like, this is my uncle. Like, what the hell? And I matched the ages. Like, this is him. Like, he was addicted to drugs. He worked at the Alazan. Mm-hmm. Um, so what he would do is drive around the neighborhood and he would give people condoms. He would give them, like, clean needles and stuff. Right. And try and, you know, tell them about his story. Like, hey, like, I used to be a drug addict. You know, now I'm giving back. Mm-hmm. Um so it was cool reading that story, and then I remember doing my second handball story in 2017, mm-hmm. and I was looking up stuff, and the only story that I saw in the handball courts was done in 2009. Mm-hmm. That story included my uncle Toby, who just recently passed away a couple weeks ago. Oh, sorry for your loss. And that was crazy seeing that, and I, I couldn't view it. Because, I mean, I'm not an employer or anything, so I didn't have a login. So I mean, what I did was I bought it. I was like, I'm going to buy sure. this story. Like, this is this is my like my family's history. Mm-hmm. And so I read it. I, was, I thought it was a pretty cool story. Um, thought it could have been done better. So that that motivated me to to write a better story than that one. Because mm-hmm. my uncle was the one who introduced the handball court. I mean, I knew the handball courts because my grandma lived across the street. Right. So I saw them from age five to, you know, to, to, the, to this day. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I ran into my uncle in October 3rd, 2016, I still remember. I had ran into him. I hadn't seen him since my mom's funeral. Mm. And we were just chopping it up. We caught up. Right. He's like, yeah, sometimes I play at the handball courts. I was like, all right. So I went the following weekend. He wasn't there. But I was like, I, I need to tell this story. So I ended up writing it in my blog, the one that you read, yeah, the one that you shared. It's a great story. Um, I decided to do a follow-up because I was like, hey, I could do a better story than this one. Um, sure enough, that one was even better. That one got me a first place award in 2018. Yeah. So I ended up taking it back, the the award, and I had um, Buddy, one of the OGs, he was holding it, and I took a picture of him holding it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's cool to be that guy. Um, but I feel like there could have been so many cool stories on my grandma. Sure. There could have been some great stories on the community center when I was there. Mm-hmm. One of the the guys who works at the community center was trying to find articles and stuff of San Juan. Right. So he can print it out and put it on the board for the kids to watch. Mm-hmm. And we get there, or he, I get there, right? 
and I don't know he's researching this. So I get there and, you know, I'm saying hi to the kids. So I say hi to him and he's like, hey, I didn't know you wrote this story. And I was like, I was like what story? And he shows me the one I did for Follow Media. The, it was a first person story, which was hard to write. But I remember writing it and um, everyone loved it. Um, he's like, I'm trying to do research and this is the only thing that I could find. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, this is the only thing that people can find. Like, this is sad. Like, there's so much, there's so many stories that need to be told, Vince, and it's, it frustrates me because, like, there's only one of me, and like, people are gonna like, these people are gonna die off, and it's like, who's gonna tell their story? Like, I don't want to tell their story through like, a grieving, right, a family member, a friend who mm-hmm. probably kind of knows their story. Like, no one knows your story more than you do. Yeah, but, you know, the stories you've done so far and will continue to do are probably um, a lot more than would have been done. So Yeah, for sure. Shout out to you for, you know, investing in your community and sharing these stories, you know. Yeah, like the, like, uh, what's her name that I just met? Josie. Josie, yeah. Yeah. I should know her name, but (laughs) we only met one time, that one time we did a story together. Josie Norris. But like, if we don't tell that story, who's gonna tell that story? Yeah, but and I and I found out about them two years ago, and I told myself I'm gonna find, I'm gonna do another, I'm gonna do a story on these people, as soon as I get the chance. Well, you know, so the question is, uh, well, it's not really a question. I guess it's more of a statement. Um, I guess you have the eye. Yeah. Um, everybody has, a, everybody runs across the same scene. Yeah. You know, but it's the value. What value do they place on that when they run across it? Do they see a story? But that's like, how do you, what is it about certain things that you run across that makes you go like, aha, that's a story? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. It's. I find, I don't want to say I'll find anything interesting. Right. Because um, there's things that I'm not interested in, but I'll make the most of it. Right. Um. But I guess the conversations with the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you could see something, and it'll be right there in your face. This is a story, right? But there's some things where it's like, hey, let's let me just stop by and chat with them. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's artists that I meet that are just like, they have some interesting stories. Yeah. Like Albert, Albert was homeless. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he was he was homeless for a couple months, mm-hmm. and he would sleep at IHOPs, and you know, wow. um, he would hide his art at at bars where he did live art he's like hey can you hold it for me right because i don't have a home mm-hmm. it's just like holy shit like you don't get those kind of stories unless you talk to people and that's the most important thing is you talk to people right so that leads to the next question um i've heard from some folks that it's hard <laughs> just to run up on somebody on the street to strangers and just talk to them have you ever had any trepidation um yeah there are there are moments where people are like yeah, but I feel like if you just approach them as another person, mm-hmm. and you can build up to like, hey, I'm a, actually I'm a reporter, right? Blah blah. Because blah. Uh, if you come off as, oh, hey, I'm a reporter, like it, it's intimidating. Mm-hmm. People get intimidated by that. Sure. Especially now and um, with with a lot of people not trusting the media. Yeah. Um. And there, there, there could be there. There's some fair. Um, there's there's some people where like I'm it's totally fair why I get why you don't trust the media right because there's some people who they have an interaction with a TV reporter or whoever mm-hmm. and they have a bad experience with them right and it just ruins it for everybody else and 
but still, I feel like just because that happens, that doesn't mean that you can still um, build that relationship with them. Like, there's there's a lot of people that I meet, and they'll, they'll straight up tell me, "You're the only journalist that I really that I really like and like like enjoy talking to. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't talk to these other reporters." And why do you me. think that's so? I don't know. I'm I'm just me. I I think I said it in our epi- your episode where. I tell them where I'm from, mm-hmm. um, and I think me being a brown man is I can use that to my advantage, mm-hmm. um, because I'm I don't know man I can't imagine being like being a brown person or a black person in my space, and I just see this this white reporter just like pulling up on me like what the fuck who are you? But on the flip side, there's some folks who are black and brown and they'll see you and they're like. You're not a reporter. <laughs> sure. When I did my, my front page story on the barber, there yeah. was this kid getting a haircut. Yeah. And the barber, I mean, he already knew me from for like the past two years. He knows I'm a reporter. Right. He's seen my stuff. And um, I'm just chilling there. I'm like, and it was a hot day. It was yeah. like 106. Wow. I'm like, I am not wearing jeans. So I was like in athletic gear, just chilling. Right. And I'm just talking to different folks in there. And, um, the owner of the barbershop's like, he's a reporter, and this guy, he's like in his early 20s, you're not a reporter. <laughs> and I'm like, I bet you if I were white and I pulled up in here, you would think I'm a reporter. And he kind of like, he stayed quiet for a bit. And I was just saying it just to mess with him. Sure. And I was like, I get it. You know, um, we, on, we only know what we know because right. you know, he's, he's from the neighborhood I grew up in. Right. We only have access. Like, how often do we see a reporter when there's not a death? So do you feel a responsibility when you're out in the neighborhood and you uh, you introduce yourself yeah. as a journalist, homegrown here in San Antonio? Oh, yeah. I always tell them I'm, I'll find something in common with them. Mm-hmm. I'll try and find something. If I can't, you know, I'll, like, oh, I actually have a friend, you know, that's I went to school. One thing I always ask is, well, what school did you go to? You can easily tell where they're from. Right. Unless they're in like a magnet program. But other than that, you know where they're from. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, my best friend went there. Or, um, I just wrote a story like, oh, you went to Breck? I wrote a story on Ramon Richards. You know, he's in the NFL now. Oh, I know Ramon. Okay. Okay, cool. And then you kind of build, you start spark conversation. Or, you know, if we're on the west side. I'm like, yeah, actually, you know, my tia lives right here. I grew up right here on, on Guadalupe. Um, I didn't go to school here, but, you know, I'm literally all my family's from here. Sure. And, you know They'll, they'll, they'll spark a conversation mm-hmm. and, you know, they're like, oh, okay, and they feel more comfortable. It's right. less intimidating. Um, but, yeah, I, I, that's there's different ways. It's, it just depends who I'm interviewing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if I'm at a – I'm interviewing a high-profile figure, right. I'm going to – Yeah. I'm going to um, code. or That's how you say it, right, coding? I know what you mean. Coding, yeah. 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 You know, then I'll – Walk around like I'm a reporter. When in Rome. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, but it's cool. Like all over, like the, like the Brandeis coach. I just covered them mm-hmm. this past game, and he ended up following me on Twitter. The Reagan coach a couple of weeks ago, um, he remembered me from my coverage of last year, which meant a lot. I'm like, holy shit! Like, sure, you get interviewed every week, and he's, he's like, hey, I remember you. Um, you know, you covered us a lot last year. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Um, but what he doesn't know is I went to. Uh, he was a coach at Rosa. He wasn't one of my coaches, but yeah. You know, but I didn't want to. I was like, I'm just going to interview you, dude. Um, I don't want to. <laughs> so we'll have to <clears throat> take a break in the um, questions of angst and anxiety. 
for the speed round. Oh, shit. Okay. Let's go. All right. I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Jay-Z or Drake? Jay-Z or Drake? Oh. I would say Drake. I think Jay-Z is a way better rapper. Uh-huh. Without a doubt. Okay. But Drake has better music. I just think Drake has better music. He, he can give you stuff where he's spitting. He gives you stuff when you're in your feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives you stuff you can, you know, party to. He gives you everything. And that's that's very rare to find in a in a hip hop artist. Okay. Um, in my opinion, because Drake gives you just everything. Um, but if you, if we're doing like top five rappers of all time, he's not in my top five. He's not even in my top ten. We haven't got to Mount Rushmore yet. Okay. Oh damn. Oh yes. Damn. Okay. So. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. Name two of your favorite movies. The Dark Knight for sure. Mm-hmm. And. That's a great question. I love The Dark Knight. That's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Damn. The other one depends on your your cred, so. Damn. It's all over your uh, your social media brand. What, am I one of my favorite movies? Yeah, I think. Uh, the way you promote them is on your Instagram and stuff, I think, right? I promote a movie all the time? Well, no, I mean the characters anyway. That's a TV show, though. What? Wait, what are you talking about? It's on your Instagram. I mean, is that one of your favorite movies? Oh, shit! What, you, what is wrong with I, me? What is what is wrong with what me? What do I have to remind you? Oh, my boys in the hood. What's, what, what's boys that, in the what, hood? What is what? Rest in peace, Mr. John. Wow. 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 I, I completely forgot. What is up with... I, you put me in the hot seat, man. I'm scared. I know. Okay, well, okay, now. Me tengo miedo. Here you go. Here's, here's <laughs> the other part of the crib. <laughs> what's up? Which of the two? Which of the two? Yeah. Damn. Ah. I have to go Boys in the Hood, man. Okay. It's just, it's impact that it had. It was a low-budget film. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long, how old was he? He was like 23 years old when he, he made was, that movie. Yeah, he was at, he was, what, what was it, UCLA, USC? He was at USC. USC, He yeah. pitched the movie to Ice Cube when he was a junior. Yeah, I heard and Ice the story, was just yeah. like, what? Yeah. And then he was doing stuff on the Arsenio Hall show. He's like, hey. I'm a senior. Yeah. Still got this movie, and Ice Cube's like, whatever. And then, sure enough, I guess his agent comes up to him with the script. Right. He's just like, whatever. And then he shows up, and then he sees he sees John there, and he's like, what the fuck? He's like, I told you I was making a movie. So then Ice Cube did a bad job, and then uh, yeah. John goes up to him, and he's like, hey, come back, actually read the script. Yeah. And, you know, re-audition. Right. Sure enough, he Ice Cube became Doughboy. Okay. okay. All right. Let's see. Um... Damn, John Singleton was gone way too soon, man. Yeah. He was way too young. Yeah. You know, um, some of these I, I'm trying to think of the, um, okay. All right. So, breakfast taco or burrito? <laughs> hey. Those of you who eat breakfast burritos, what the hell is wrong with you? Do you hate yourself? <laughs> what's, your, what's your breakfast what's your taco? Okay. All right. I think I was. I think that was the first thing I ever ate as a baby. My mom didn't even give me baby food. She just gave me a breakfast lunch. <laughs> He's like, carne misada with queso, mijo. I didn't have teeth. She, like, chopped that up for me, put that in the blender. <laughs> no, she didn't do that. Kept it real, right? Don't call CPS on me. No. <laughs> She's gone. You can't call CPS on me. No. Um, but, yeah, breakfast taco. Breakfast burrito. Oh, my gosh. Wow. My, one of my ex-girlfriends, she's from Galveston. She ate that. What? Breakfast burritos. I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, I've, I've heard it. I, Even I in West Texas, you, yeah. too. Okay, here you go. 
I don't watch the. Okay, I'm going to. Uh, we're going to TV. Ooh, okay, you, you ready? Are, you, you already ready? know. You, wait, 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 wait. Let me throw it at you. Let me throw it. Okay, at okay, you. okay, okay, okay. Okay. All right. And this was a question I saw on Twitter, and I was like, "That's not even a question." Oh, hold on. Let me ask you. I think let I saw it. Yeah, yeah. I think so. The wire. Oh, power. I know, right? Power. Oh, my gosh. Shout out to 50 Cent. He's making his money. Yeah. He's, you know, he's a black man making a, right. a black TV show. But uh-huh. that show is, like, so, like, I don't know. It's a poor man's wire, and it's a poor man's whatever you it's see. Great. You got another check on your credit Yeah, because it's like, I saw the that one guy who got shot. Yeah. It's all over Twitter, and he's yeah. like, he's like falling dramatically. Uh huh. I'm like, what is this? Like, oh my! God. It's like one of the worst novellas ever. <laughs> and I'm so pissed. It's like, how are you gonna have this guy get shot? He's falling. He's plummeting to his death. Right. And many men by Fifty Cent is not playing. That was a missed opportunity, Fifty. Missed opportunity. You should. Just by that, I don't even want to watch Power. Okay. The Wire is the greatest TV show of all time. Okay. Argue with your Thea. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> okay, we're going to continue this thread. All right. Keep this thread going. You ready? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to throw something at you. Oh, shit. I'm scared. You're a wirehead like you say you are. Yeah. What's up? Okay, you ready? I'm ready. The showdown. Omar, a brother Musa. Oh. 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 Think about it. I, I'm actually leaning towards Omar because I feel like Brother Muzon is so he's too smart for his own good. Okay, he did because the fact yeah exactly he got shot he got like shot. the fact that Omar Omar is like the he said it best. Who do you say it to? He said it to Marlo. I could find your people is way quicker than you could find me. Hello, and I'm like that that just beautifully describes Omar because. Right. Brother Muzon didn't see him coming, which was like, how could even you? Even though you had your bodyguard, still like, Omar's, you can't fuck with Omar. Okay, it's one another one for you. But he's a close second though. Like below Omar is definitely Brother Muzon. We have to get the chart out. Stranger Bell. Mm-hmm. Amalo's dance. Amalo. You know what I love about that question. And this is the beautiful parallels and the beautiful writing of David Simon. Shout out David Simon. Great reporter, great TV writer. Um, that one's hard because I feel like they wanted each other's lives mm-hmm. in a way. Or no, not, no, not so no, much that. No, no, no. It's my Marlo. Yeah, like Stringer Bell wanted the whole, he wanted to be a businessman. Right. He wanted to, gotcha, and gotcha. Marlo ended up getting that. That's right, that's right. And Stringer had all, you know, he he had, he had the streets, college. he had the streets in the palm of his hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's a community college, thinking he could run with the big boys with one community college college course. Oh my god, oh! But Stringer always wanted to be that business mogul. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he was just getting played by Clay Davis and all these other big developers. They had their way. What did what did um, what did what's his name say? What did um. Oh. No, uh, Stanfield. No, not Stanfield. Um, what's his name? Oh, Avon. 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 Oh, wait. What? He said, they saw your ghetto ass from a mile away. Because <laughs> that's when Stringer's trying to get yeah. Clay Davis assassinated yeah. and Slim Charles yeah. is like, no, no, not, not happening. That's assassination right there. Uh, 
but it was that that was a beautiful exchange between them two yeah because that's when you knew like it was over for them mm-hmm. but it, i i love the way avon said it he's like he's like what the fuck did i tell you about playing those away games mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's like we ha- we're we're sh- sh- we're kingpins and here you are trying to leap into this field where you have right. no business over there even levi is the fucking um the creepy um the piece of shit lawyer yeah, 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 yeah. I love yeah. his character. I yeah. hate him, but I love hey, I love he him made because it through I, all five seasons. Exactly. But, <laughs> I actually thought he was gonna die in one of them, but he didn't. But even him, he's like, I wish you would have told me, you know, about this right. Clay Davis thing. Right. But I feel like he wanted that life, and then Marlo, he just wants to be in the streets, mm-hmm. and he got he got the life that Stringer wanted at the end. Yeah. With Levi, he's like. This is so and so. This is so and so. Like you're gonna be rich for with the rest that, of your life. With that one bullet being. And he's like, strips, you know. I don't want to be here. And he goes to the street corner, and he gets that taste of blood again. He's just like, yeah, this is where I need to be. Which season is the best season? Season four. Season four. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, Randy. Yeah. That, where he's yelling at um, Carver. Yeah. You gonna help me, huh? You gonna be there for me? Oh man, that was yeah. beautiful acting. If I don't know don't what make, that kid's doing now, but I'm not sure. But I know that if you don't grab the Kleenex or the handkerchief, man, that that tugged know. me. Yeah, even seen it the second time, even seen it the third time, Any even time seen it the fourth it. time. Yeah, and then yeah. the season where, he, or I think it's the same season where he's he's walking him to like the the foster home, mm-hmm. and he looks at Carver. He's like, because Carver's trying anything he can to like right. adopt him to to get him out of that crappy system, and mm-hmm. he's like, hey. It's okay. You tried. Yeah. Oh man, that one yeah. got me too. It's 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 rough. I feel like Randy's gonna be a new Bodie. Yeah, because everybody's vacancy was filled. Because Bodie, I don't know if you remember, in the first season he got sent to boys like a it's like a all boys mm-hmm. foster home, mm-hmm. and then he escapes, and then he's like hitchhiking, and then Carver and Herc are pulling up as yeah. he's hitchhiking, and they don't even realize that he broke out. So yeah, I feel like without telling good. us, yeah, he was a foster kid because he lived with his grandma too. Telegraph and that's the beautiful fucking story like storytelling oh yeah yeah. um did you watch the deuce i haven't watched it i need to watch it i know it's on hbo and i know they're trying to kill off james franco (laughs) because he got canceled hey well so yeah that's that's a discussion for another day um so we do have to go back to one of the questions from the young lady that said um what was her question uh (laughs) <laughs> oh no! You need to answer that question. <laughs> so Yaneth, <laughs> you need to ask because she yeah. Yaneth was on episode nine. Uh-huh. She asked me <laughs> how to be a bad bitch. I don't know, <laughs> and if I tried, I don't. I think I would fail. <laughs> but it's funny because there's I have some homies that we go out to the strip. Yeah, St. Mary Strip, and they don't really dance much. They're just like uh, little. I'm yeah. the one that like just dances. Like I don't care what song is on, I'm gonna dance to it. Yeah, I'm an awful dancer, but they joke around and they'll they'll text me like, "Oh yeah, Jose's a bad bitch," and I'm like, "Oh my <laughs> god," <laughs> I'm like whatever. So um, I don't know the formula. I guess you just gotta be yourself. Okay, okay. Um, raspas or paletas? Ooh, raspas. Yeah, paletas are are cool and all, but uh-huh. I don't know, like. I gotta be in the mood for it. I, I remember growing up too, like, thought, uh, when the Palatero man would come, 
And if he didn't have, because I was very picky with my flavors, and it's like, if he didn't have my flavor, I didn't want it. When the raspa man would come, I don't care, I was barefooted. Yeah. Because back then, you could get a raspa for 50 cents. Now it's a dollar. And I would, my dad would give me a dollar, or my mom would give me a dollar. And I'd run, catch them. And it could be an ice cream lady, too, you know. Because there's a raspa lady in the 07 zip code. She's okay. out there by San Juan. Okay. Um, I'd give him a dollar, and I'd get a baby Lucas, and I'd get a, a lime raspa. And what I would do is I would get the Lucas, I would eat half of it, and I'd pour the rest into my raspa and I'd mix it. Oh, man. Come on. So good. So good. <laughs> um, so, um, two favorite writers. Two favorite writers. You and, when I mean you, it's Vincent Davis. Just in case you guys just showed up. I'm just bias. <laughs> no, definitely you. Um... That's a good question. I don't know who the other one would be. There's a lot of great writers out there. Um, shit, that's a good question. Viana, I like Viana's writing. Viana's a great writer. Man, Viana Davila. Yeah, she's funny. a badass for. She's she covers homelessness. Yes. And for the Seattle Times, she's a badass. Hey, you know we both got the same initials. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we used to sit uh, right across from each other on the road. On the corner, yeah, for years. So she's like, uh, when I say little sister, I say it out of respect. Yeah. But uh, you'll be hearing more about Vianna down the road. Yeah, she's a she's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Um. So, she taught me without even her physically teaching me mm-hmm. how to be a great reporter, like how to just like ask questions. Oh yeah. Because I would always hear through my mentors or my bosses. You wanna. Re- you know, when you get all the information you need, report like Viana. So, hey, yeah. she leaves no stone unturned, man. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you saw in there that you, you think you could coin. Let's see here. Uh, um, let's see here. Uh, does it just flip or does it? So you just tap it and then it'll, it'll tell you. Yeah. So hit left or right. So bam. Okay, gotcha. Kind of. Oh, there's a time management question in there. Oh. Okay, well, uh, so how do you manage your time? That's a great question because I am. If that question had read, I believe it's my time management because mm-hmm. I'm everywhere. I don't know. Like, I, I, I mastered, I thought I mastered it in college. Right. Because I, I was always big on, because I'm big on time. Um, if you waste my time, you're a. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> One of my hood red videos yeah, on my yeah, phone. Yeah. Um, but I'm really big on time. And if people waste my time, um, they're a liability. But for me, I'm always, I always had two jobs and went to school full time. Mm-hmm. There was a point where I had to leave one job and it's like, okay, I, I have to do an internship. Because one job started to pay really well when I started serving at Draft House. So it was that, an internship, school full time. Mm-hmm. So I had to really manage my time wisely. Um, so if I know I have to work in two hours, I really have one hour. Gotcha. Um, you know, think about the commute, mm-hmm. stuff like that. They all factor um, that in. Yeah, and whenever I meet up with friends to study, it's like, hey, uh, what time are we meeting up? We're meeting up at 2.30? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's really going to take us like maybe 20 minutes to settle down. Right. Get things organized. Okay. So that's really gone. So if we meet at 2.30, we're really meeting at 3.00. We meet at three, and I work at six. I only have two hours to study. Okay. You know that—that's how. 
That's how my brain functions. So it's not just off the cuff. You think things nah. out. But there's times where it's like, okay, you plan for something. It doesn't go as planned. Right. Um, you just um, readjust your whole schedule, the rest of your schedule, mm-hmm. and just go from there. Like there's no there's no really time to like, like oh my gosh, what am I going to do on my day? It's like let's just, let's just flesh out the rest of this day and um, go from there. So, you know, I always tease you about your hustle. Yeah. So where do you get your hustle from? Um, a pimp named Slickback. And no, I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah, that's, why, that's why we don't take you out, please. <laughs> uh, where did I get my work ethic from? Um, even though we don't have the best of a relationship, and um, we talk every now and then, uh-huh. you know, we say hi. Um, my dad, he was a hard worker. Mm-hmm. Um, like I really saw him like whenever like my parents were together. Right. Um, he would he was a janitor at this middle school called Ed White. Okay. So that's how I have a connection with the Northeast. Even prior to me moving to that area, it's because I would go with him and I'd just play basketball inside Ed White from ele- <laughs> elementary up until okay. he retired. But I remember um, he'd go in at, I think at eleven or twelve and he'd get out at nine. Mm-hmm. So I mean I don't see I see him in the morning basically. And then by the time he gets home, right. I'm already getting ready for bed. Right. Um, ready for bed. I, I'd still be watching The Simpsons at 10 o'clock. <laughs> but, I mean, dude always worked. Um, and just seeing other people, like other other people in my, my, my community. Like if I see like, you know, a Mexicano mm-hmm. selling elotes in like 100 degree weather. It's like, holy right. shit, man. Like, how's he doing that? I don't understand that. Or see people, like, doing construction in the blistering heat. Right. Or see whatever. Like, I just I just think about things. Like, when people tell me about their work schedule, even growing up, like, they tell me about their work schedule. I'm like, damn, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess my work, at, I, I guess seeing that, but having to be forced to work hard because of circumstances. Sure. Um, like, you want things, you get a job. Right. Okay, I got a job in high school. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm still pursuing journalism. I'm still doing sports in right. high school. Okay, you got to work hard. You know, right. you got to work extra hard now. So there's two two more questions um, and more, but yeah, yeah, right, sure. off the, right off the bat. Um, so what were some of those jobs that you held down? So my first job ever, and I would never change. If I had to relive my life again, I would still have this as my first job was Waterburger. Okay. Forget the Whataburger on 35 and Ritterman. Okay. And it was cool because it was me, my homie Henry. Um, he went to Roosevelt with myself. Uh, this guy named Cruz who said he went to Roosevelt, but he didn't. He was just like this dude like trying to rap. And then this guy named Saul. He went to um, Wagner. This guy named, uh, I forgot his best friend's name. He would always sing um, <laughs> the Lion King theme song. He would say, Jalapeno. <laughs> Steve, that was his name. Steve. Steve Coba. Yeah, dude was missing his front tooth, man. He was funny. Uh, but he was awesome. He also went to Wagner. And it was just a bunch of high school kids. We were just bullshitting. Mm-hmm. We just came to make money. Like, we would hit, like, 30 hours, and we're like, oh, my God. Like, we're, we're going to make bank. We get paid every week. Oh, my gosh. Hey. And it was fun. Like, we were just, um, at that time, Kanye had dropped the song Mercy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we would sing on the headsets. Oh, wow, if it's my weeping in my morning. And we would have this old manager, stop talking on the headsets. <laughs> but it was a fun time. And then um, when my dad and I had our fallout, and um, damn, did I really want to talk about that? 
maybe another time. I don't know. Long story short, we had in a, in a fight, like a legit fight. And it was my senior year, and I just couldn't live with him anymore. Um, so my aunt and uncle took me in. So I ended up moving to Alamo Heights. Mm-hmm. So I ended up living in this apartment complex off of Austin Highway. Okay. Um, it's like a low-income apartment complex to living in Alamo Heights. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a culture shock to me. It was, look around, everyone's white. Still going to Roosevelt. Right. Um, but um, I had to leave Whataburger because I was trying to transfer to the one on Broadway, but I couldn't. Right. And so I ended up, um, ended up, being jobless for a second I got a job at Bill Miller's um it was the one by the airport mm-hmm. it was stupid busy and like I'm this isn't me um like having sour grapes okay it is sour grapes but man like the girls over there didn't do anything they just like chill and like they just yell at the microphone at you wipe down tables get us tea um drop chicken and I was like what the hell I can't work here <laughs> so I applied at Chester's which is up the, on the other side of uh, 410. Yeah. Got a job there. So I was at both jobs. Wow. But then I left Bill Miller. So I was like, I was only there for a month. I was like, mm-hmm. I can't, can't work here, man. Can't do this shit. They paid well, but I was like, nah. So I went to Chester's and I was there for um, March until the end of July. Mm-hmm. And then I left that job because I had coworkers that, like, most of my coworkers were cool, but there was this one coworker. He was annoying. He's like this older dude, complained about everything. I was like, I can't be around this kind of person. Negative. I was like, yeah, like this shit's gonna rub off on me. And by then, I had graduated high school. Okay. I had already met you. Um, I had did the UJW. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah. Urban Journalism yeah. Workshop. Yeah. Um, so it was a two week thing. So that's where I met Aaron, um, Anthony. I already knew Kathy. I knew met Catherine. I forgot the other two kids' names. Um, so, what do you think your legacy will be? Mine. Yeah. Damn. My legacy. I don't even know. Because I'm not going to lie. I want to be remembered. Yeah. Like, I I don't know if it, I don't know if that sounds very, um, um, what's that word? Where you're like all about yourself? There's a lot of them. <laughs> um, but I mean, you, there's a reason why. Why do you want to be remembered? I know I was, I want to be remembered because I know I was I was placed on this earth to do like something like I want to like like I want to leave like my footprint here. Okay. Um, and I guess a lot of it's like me just wanting like not so much people to like because I don't care if people like me. But I want people to know like what I'm doing mm-hmm. and what I'm doing and, and like the work that I'm doing. Um, there's a bigger meaning and there's a bigger impact. So I guess by knowing me, you're gonna know what I'm doing, and if you know what I'm doing. That's great. I did my job. Because um, my mother, she was she always gave back. Mm-hmm. We didn't have shit, and she still gave back. Mm-hmm. We didn't have shit, and she would still have people over. Um, like She never closed the door on anybody. That's the kind of person that she was. And I always tell the story of when, um, where it really impacted me a lot, that she was being a selfless human being, was, it was like mid-2000, maybe 05, 06, around there. But I remember when the lights of the Brady Courts, now it's called the San Juan Square. Mm-hmm. So back then, the it was the Brady Courts and it was the San Juan Courts. And um, it was the Brady Courts and a catty corner to that was Storm Elementary. Right behind that was San Juan Community Center. And right parallel to that was the San Juan Courts. And I remember the power went out the Brady Courts. 
and I heard about it through my friends. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember my mom picked me up, and she told me, she's like, yeah, the power went out. I was like, oh, man, that sucks. I have a lot of friends that live there. So um, the following day, uh, my mom picks me up from the center again, and my friends who live in the courts, they're like, is that your mom? I was like, yeah. They're like, for real? I was like, yeah, that's my mom. They're like, oh, she was at, um, she came to our house, and she was giving all the kids Gatorades. I was like, what? I was like, what are you, I was like, are you sure that's my mom? I mean, I didn't question it because right. I knew she wouldn't do something like that. But I was like, she didn't tell me that. Mm-hmm. She told me that she saw it, but she didn't tell me that she did all that. And that's the kind of person that she was. Um, <coughs> so by her doing that, I just knew um, I was meant to give back. Sure. I'm going to flip you back. <laughs> I'm going to flip you back to the... Uh... To the wire. Yeah, look, go take you back. Well, you know what? So you have, um, they say this is the golden age of TV, right? Yeah. Is there any other uh, series that could even, that you would put on the level, on par with? uh, with Not that I know of. Not that I've, the one that was really great. It was on Netflix. It was haunting and uh, haunting, the haunting on Hill House or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it was great. It was it was well written. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some like it was very emotional. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you <laughs> you can spark emotion, did a great job. Right. Um, they had some plot twists. They're like, holy shit, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> um, that was a good show, but I don't think there's any show at, at this moment that's um, on par with it. I mean, like I'm trying to watch um, Breaking Bad. I always hear good, th- great things about that show. Try harder. Um, it's good. It's, okay, it's good. I mean, what, what what season are you at? No, I haven't watched it at all. Like oh, I'm trying my, to. Oh man, well you know, it's on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's on Netflix, and so um, I came into the season like season the second to the last. I think, and then I had to go back and retrace. Yeah. But there's some, I'm telling you, if you invest your time. Yeah. Especially the last two seasons. I love Brian Cranston. I love. Great actor. He's a great actor. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm telling you, you <laughs> I, I, will, I would recommend it, highly recommend yeah. it for you. I mean, I finished The, the Sopranos. What do you think of Sopranos? Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was a great show. There were certain things that didn't age well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it wasn't meant to age well because it was in real time. Yeah. Because a lot of it was in real time. Like yeah. It reflected, kind of like the wire, it reflected the, the year that it was, exactly that right. it came out. Exactly right. So there was a lot of racism. But I, I mean, I get it. That existed. It still does. That it, I mean, it still does, but it, it existed within that uh, culture. Yeah. Like Italian. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Italian-Americans, a, at least. Mm-hmm. And then, you, I mean, they're in Jersey. So. Jersey, yeah. Um, that was a great show, but there was one scene that I just skipped through it and I just couldn't watch it. Mm-hmm. It's when um, the therapist is raped in the parking garage on the stairwell. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, some and, like, man. they got really detailed with it. And I was like, you didn't have to do that. You could have just indicated, like, oh, she, like, she got raped. So there's a there's a series. It's, um, it's a series on Netflix called Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You got to check that out. Okay. For the treatment of uh, um, just a quick synopsis is the uh, a young lady 
who is raped, a, you know, a 19-year-old or something like that, and nobody believes her. Damn. And then they find out that the guy that raped her has also done the same thing in Colorado. She, I think she's in Washington State. In, uh, what the hell? And so it's these two female detectives. <clears throat> because the male um, detectives did everything they could to c- try and disprove what she was saying. Oh, my God. You know, and she's, you know, she's caught up. She's traumatized. And just to make them happy, she's like, all right, man, whatever. No, it didn't happen. But it did happen. And you don't find out. I mean, and you have to watch the whole series. I don't want to probably spoil too much already. But these two female detectives, they catch the thread of this same guy doing the same thing in the suburbs of Denver. And how it all comes together is magnificently done. So you, that's a sign watching for you. Sir. All right, for sure. And then that leads into this question. Um, you ever thought about going on to become, like, write a book or become a playwright? I want to write a book for sure. I want to do some kind of book by the end of my 25th year on this earth. Okay. By 25, so I got a year. Okay. Um, whether it's, like, photography or, you know... What I want to do is I want to put out like 15 of my best photos, put it in a book, okay. and write a little something for each of those photos. Oh, that's good. That's tight. Um, because I have three and a half years worth of, or three years and 10 months worth of photos. Huh? From the blog uh, and from, from your everything, your everything you've done, right? Yeah, and I, I got a sense of urgency to put that out, or to put my photos out at least when I thought my hard drive was like, like just yeah. went out. Yeah. That scared the shit out of me. And I was like, man, like I could have shared this photo and all I have are these photos and my only I have are my little S D cards. Mm-hmm. And like that's all I have left. And so So that scared the crap out of me. You so, backed everything up now. Yeah, yeah, everything's on my, my new hard drive. And um so I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I don't know when I'm gonna do that. I haven't I need to sit down on a day off where it's truly a day off. Right. Not me working and really think about that, think about um, what I'm going to do for the next year. Because mm-hmm. we're already about to be at the end of the year. It's, it's nuts. Yes, yeah, it's, it's zipping by, man. So here's the, I don't know how much time we have. No, we're good. So, um, has anyone asked, or have you asked? I don't even remember. Go ahead. Uh, has anyone asked how I started journalism? I don't think we Talked about that, right? Um, no. So, <laughs> how did you start journalism? Well, I mentioned it earlier in this episode. Uh, my uncle planted the seed as a, right, when I was you 13. Did. You did. He asked me what I wanted to do with my life. I was 13. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do the next day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I told him, um, he asked me what I like to do. I like to write. You know, what I like to do in school. I like, I like to write a lot. Mm-hmm. I would write stories for days. Even in fourth grade, I had, I had poor handwriting, but I would write. And write. I remember I wrote I wrote a four page essay in fourth grade on Halloween, <laughs> and I told this story on I think on my friend Albert's podcast. I told the story of basically um, <laughs> I had all these I had Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, I had all these like monsters, right? Jeepers Creepers, anyone you could think of, and they were like brawling. They're like duking it out, and since I'm a big wrestling fan. Undertaker came out and destroyed all of them. (laughs) 
And my sister still has it. It's laminated. It's so funny. Mm. Uh, but I, I always love to write, so we combined my passion for sports right. and writing. But I didn't act on it until my mom died. Because hmm. when I went to Burbank, they didn't have journalism there. Okay. My mom dies. I go to, to Lee. I start writing there. Start turning out those stories. I leave Lee because my sister couldn't afford for me to live with her anymore. So I ended up moving with my dad okay. in 2011. Mm-hmm. That's where I land at Roosevelt. Yeah. Um, so I'm at Roosevelt. The teacher there at the time... I don't want to say his name because he was awful. He was just awful. There's only two of us in there. What's that? That is what class is this? It was journalism. But you did find somebody at Roosevelt. Yeah, she's amazing. So we had him our junior year, and um, you know, Kathy and I ran the whole newspaper. Mm-hmm. And following um, school year comes, and we get Miss Berger. Uh-huh. Freaking amazing. Yes, still. And yeah, she's still amazing. The way she's She's only been there, what, seven years? And mm-hmm. she's done incredible work with that program. Yes, like, indeed. Like, incredible work with that program. And that's why I always keep in touch with her. Like, she she was very instrumental. Her and Miss Sladden from Lee. Miss Sladden's another one who's a journalism god. She retired last year. Ah. Um, shout out to her. But, yeah, meeting her, and it was me, Kathy. And then we had a couple more students. We had, like, um, Jesse... He's not doing journalism, but I mean, I remember him being in the class. Um, that's where I know that girl from. So there's, this is weird. Never mind. I'll tell you afterwards. Oh my gosh. There was a girl in that class yeah. and I always see her out and about and I'm like, where do I know this girl from? She was, she was in that class. There you go. Wow. Now that I'm, then we had this one younger girl who um, ended up going to Lee, which was cool. I was like, oh my God, you got to, just like myself, you got to experience both of these journalism, uh, these brilliant minds. Right. So we, um, so I was there, and that's where I meet you, my senior year, and then UJW comes. We yeah, do the program, that's right. and end up at SAC. SAC is where um, I really became a better writer, but I didn't start my first year. So the first year I got to SAC, and this goes back to when you grow up in certain school districts and you don't give kids the right tools, they're not gonna. You could be a smart kid, you know, um, at least at that time, at right. SAISD. That doesn't mean you're going to translate well to college. Um, they didn't prepare me for college. They didn't prepare my peers for college. <laughs> so I get to SAC. I'm, I'm registering for classes. Right. Then, yeah. Registering for classes, and um, you have to take the AccuPlacer test. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I, I bullshitted the test. I was like, I mean, I don't need it to take it. I just have to take it. It's not going to determine anything. Sure enough, it did determine. Oh, yeah. So I ended up taking remedial um, English and remedial writing and remedial math. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck? And I was in those classes, and I got an A in each of those classes because I'm like, I don't belong here. No offense to anybody else in those classes, but right. I, I don't need to be here. Why the hell am I? And I was there because I bullshitted the thing. No one told me that, hey, this is going to determine what kind of classes you take. In my math class, I was like, why, why am I here? Like, I would finish my work, and I'd leave early. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be here. And the teacher was... She would, like, insult your intelligence. I'm like, okay, one, I don't need to be here. So sure enough, um, once you take those classes, you're able to take normal classes. Right. So I really, <coughs> I wasted all that money on those damn classes. The next semester comes, so I had to catch up. Right. So I take Comp 1, Comp 2, and um, Flex. So okay. Flex 1, Flex 2, I take that. Um, I forget what other classes I took. But I had to take those classes in order to take um, 
Journalism classes. Journalism classes, right. So come to find out, I could have used my tax scores, and then they saw my tax scores. They're like, oh, you didn't even need to take those classes. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I can't imagine what kids who come from similar circumstances, whether it's the west side, east side, or south side, what their experience has been like and how much money they're wasting because no one's um, guiding them. Right. Um, so that really got me upset. Um, so then fall 14 comes, I take reporting one, and that's when the Ranger had a huge staff. Like, it yeah. was huge. And everybody knew who I was. They knew me from UJW, and I would always stop by. And um, So I'm over there covering sports. Um, so I'm doing girls and uh, guys and girls games. And that's where um, I became a better deadline writer. Yeah. Because I would write those stories at night, stay up to like 2 a.m., and then turn in the stories in the morning. That's right. And then to be in the, the, the paper. Uh-huh. Um, so that's where I really started. And then once I became more confident, I think it was by 2015, fall 15? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, spring 15. So I'm still at SAC. Um, it's already my fourth semester. Um, and I think my biggest story at, up until that point was um, was when I covered, um, it's when the Rangers come to play. I forget what it's called. It's like Big Day or I don't even know what it's called. But anyways, I covered it and mm-hmm. I posed the question. Um, does San Antonio deserve a baseball team, an MLB team? Right. And so I started asking different folks, like, what do you think? What do you think? And um, I was upset because I turned in the story and I had put in a request to interview Nelson Wolf. Okay. Judge Wolf, mm-hmm. who I guess he owns the missions. Well, I mean, Wolf Stadium, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he knows everything and anything about baseball. So I had a really great interview with him, mm-hmm. but it happened after the story was published. And I'm like, damn, like this would have been a great story if I would have waited. Uh, so that was a lesson learned right there. Mm-hmm. Summer 15 comes. I'm already like over school, mm-hmm. and I just want to like take a break. Not like... I'm going to take a break for a year or anything like that. Just, right. I'm not going to take any classes in the summer. Because the summer prior, I failed a class. Mm-hmm. I dropped one. Yeah. Even spring 15, I dropped my um, I dropped my philosophy and I dropped my um, government class. Hmm. So I, was, I, was, I wasn't depressed, but I was upset with myself because I'm like, why are we dropping classes? Or like, why is this happening? And I was working a lot. I was working at Gap and I was working at Draft House. Wow. And yeah, I remember draft house, yeah. Yeah, my draft house days. So summer 15 comes, and I said, I'm going to take a break. And my uncle was like, why are you going to take a break? And I was like, I'm just take a break. And sure enough, I got an internship with La Prensa. Mm. So that's when I start to build the confidence to um, interview high-profile people. Right. So I mean, Ivy Taylor is one of the first people I interviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed Danny Green. Um, Danny Green, who else? Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson was the first spur I ever interviewed one on one, so that was cool. That's where I first met Buck Harvey. I didn't meet him because I was scared to approach him because I was like, "Holy shit, that's Buck Harvey!" <laughs> I was starstruck. I didn't even care about Kyle Anderson. I was like, "That's Buck Harvey right there." Yeah. yeah. Um, so I built my confidence there, and then the Shea interview happens, and the Emmett uh, Emmett Smith interview happens, and then I do I cover the Alamo Bowl, um, and that was the last story I did for them. Then I leave them, and here we are in spring 16. Um, still at SAC. It's my last semester Last semester there. I take a video class, and that's when I venture photography. Ah. So that was cool. Who was your I, instructor? Dr. Lowe. That's right. He's a ganger. He's a... 
man. He's a gang member, man. You don't want to mess with him. He walks around with that that vest on. He's yeah. now Dr. Lowe's awesome. He made me a really great photographer. So I take that. Uh-huh. Summer sixteen comes. I think I take some online classes, and I'm already transferring to A&M San Antonio. Right. And then, um, I get the the scholarship for Hispanic journalism. Yeah. I get the scholarship. I meet, Trisha introduces me. Trisha doesn't vouch for just anybody. So she introduced me to the senior producer, the senior director of Spectrum News. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Jose, he's a country dude. I've heard all about you. How would you like a job? And I'm like, well, I want to finish school first. How about an internship? I want you to be in the sports department because I heard you're a great sports reporter. The first thing I want you to cover is the corruption in um, college sports. <laughs> it's like country as hell. And I was like, go for it. So I email him. He puts me in a chain email with um, the senior sports producer and then the, the sports reporter, Jeff, Jeff Platt, uh-huh. in San Antonio. And um, I guess the person who got the internship at Spectrum, and it was funny because I applied for an internship at Spectrum and I didn't get it. Wow. And, I, and later on down the road, I met the girl who got it. But she uh, she couldn't pass a drug test, I guess. Okay. So the, the spot was vacant. All right. And I'm like, I can pass a drug test. I don't even drink, let alone do that shit. So, um, so I go, and um, I meet Jeff. He's like, have you ever done TV before? I'm like, no. And I was like, yeah, I'm at this paper. And Jeff's from Dallas. Okay. He went to SC. So, like, he, I mean, he knew about San Antonio, but not as well as, like, I thought he did. So um, I was like, yeah, I was at La Prensa. And, like, he had didn't really heard of them and I was like fuck like he's like you know you're gonna be doing on TV, on camera stuff and I'm like shit because I, I just like hell yeah I got another internship cool mm-hmm. I can get credit for it right. whatever so we did a <laughs> since it wasn't official we did a a volunteer internship yeah so I went to every game with him yeah and then we officially got me settled in uh, spring 2017 so it was cool I was there I was covering um Covering the Spurs, like it was fucking fun. Uh, we did some high school playoff football, and then that was it. And then it was strictly Spurs, and here I am in front of Popovich. There I am with What's you know. That like? It was cool. Like, I get why people are get scared because I mean his aura alone mm-hmm. just like instills fear in you. But I was, I was like, this is my, this was my dream, and um, but it was crazy because I have a poster of Kawhi Leonard on my wall, right? And here he is, like right in front of me hitting me with his hand because he talks with his hands yeah like when you're in the the media circle you just mm-hmm. get you know crammed yeah so he would hit me with his hands yeah it felt like it was like rick flair chopping me in my chest and i'm like oh my gosh why well was there a time when um did you ever get a had a boy from pop or anything like that no, I had asked him one question, and he answered it, and that was it. And I think because I was young, like, yeah. he didn't want to grill me. Right. It wasn't a bad question. It yeah. was, like, a legit question. I think it was Danny had came off an injury or something. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, how well do you think, or how well did you think um, Danny performed coming off of this injury? Right. <clears throat> and um, he just answered it briefly. I'm like, okay, cool. And But I've seen him when he's grilled people. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's... I remember it's this, see, yeah. this one reporter asked him. Why is it that you guys wait until the fourth quarter to play hard? Aye. And he's like, what? He's like, I don't agree with that nonsensical notion. I was like, oh, my gosh. He, he just let that reporter have it. Um, so I did that, and then Jeff's, remember the first few games, he's like, so are you ready to do your stand-up? And I was like, no. <laughs> and sure enough, he's like, ready to do your stand-up? 
All right. And it was against the Rockets. And holy, I, I, it was awful. The first one. Yeah. And you gotta he was, start somewhere. Yeah, he was yeah. showing me how to write my script, um, be more conversational. Right. Kind of do that, you know, that little reporter where you kind of like lift, lift up a little bit when you're talking, like emphasize things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. Um, I did that internship until the end of their season, and then I get a. It was fun. I became pretty decent in front of a camera. I did a documentary on San Juan. Uh, Jeff and I became really good friends after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had met this girl. 2017 was like my year. I was just like fucking killing it. <laughs> and then Follow Media reach, or Ben Olivo reaches out to me. Yeah. And by then, I feel like, a, like I feel like I'm untouchable. Like, hell yeah, I'm doing photography. I'm doing this on-camera stuff. I'm already a great writer, and um, they interview me. Um, they're like, we read some of your stories, and I had wrote some stories um, for the Mesquite. So that's when I did the Women's March, which got yeah. second in the nation. Mm-hmm. I did um, some rallies. I did the handball story. So I was doing a lot of great work while I was at Spectrum. Oh, it was great work while I was at the Mesquite newspaper. Right. But I was also doing great work at Spectrum simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got to follow, I was like, fuck yeah, and then do my first story and Ben and Patton and Alice just fucking shred it. And I was like, oh my God. But it was, they shredded it with suggestions. Yeah. And it took me until my third story to realize that because every suggestion that they had, I, I hit accept on Google Docs. Accept. I remember Patton pulled me to the side. He's like, hey, you know these are just suggestions, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you think this would be better in the story, yeah, then we'll go with that. Right. He's like, but, you know, just take these other options into consideration. Mm-hmm. So um, that helped me out with, with criticism, or not so much criticism, but suggestions. Right. Because I viewed it as criticism, but it was just like, no, like maybe you can do this instead. Well, it's hard when you first get in. Yeah. People who aren't journalists and have to have their copy edited. Yeah. They, their eyebrows go up. They're like, you know, but uh, everybody's in the same team. Everybody's, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's so for the story. Yeah, I did some great work there. Did um, the Mark Outing story, which was the Mark Mark's outing? Yes, um, that one was great. Yes, I did yes, West End yes, Church, which is there. Literally, the day that I stumbled upon them was their hundredth birthday. Uh, timing. So that timing was great. Yeah, all black congregation on the west side. That uh-huh. was a great story. Uh-huh. Uh, what else did I do for them? I did the the East Side against violence story when mm-hmm. that little four year old got murdered in the drive by. Yeah. That one was tough because um, that one's tough just in general, but it was also tough because Viana was a reporter and <laughs> Lisa Krantz was a photographer, and I had to do both. My God, crap! Um, that was that was great. Um, I did the story on the boxing gym that has that was opened by the the cop mm-hmm. on the west side. That was cool because they reached out to me. I didn't even know they existed. Yeah. They didn't even have the keys to their building yet, so that was cool. Um, did the story on Albert. Yeah, I did a lot of work up until then, and then 2018 was kind of quiet because I was trying to graduate. Well, you have to pace yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that's when I got, like, super depressed and went to counseling, and then here we are, San Antonio Express News. Well, it's what you said when you were in 10th grade, right? Well, that was you, no, you were senior. When you yeah, I was senior, senior when I met you, yeah, yeah. I was but, 17. Uh, that's what you said. You know? I mean, I remember you... Everybody talking about what they were going to do, and you said you were going to be a sports writer at yeah. Express News, and 
you made it happen, man. It's funny. Um, I would say that all the time in high school. And um, I covered Roosevelt recently. Mm-hmm. And one of the Roosevelt coaches saw me. He glanced at me. Because I know one of them already, like, really well because he, um, he was my track coach. The okay. other one, he coached basketball. He didn't coach me, but he, I mean, he knew of me. But I look completely different. He looks at me, and he's like, he's like, you play basketball, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, Jose. <laughs> and, like, he was telling me, like, introducing me to the other coaches. And Coach Barnes is the one that knows me really well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like. You don't know. He's like, you didn't remember. Jose? He's like, no, I recognize him. He's like, I just trying to, because he asked me, he's like, do you remember me? I was like, yeah, you're Coach Garcia. I remember everybody. I remember everybody. I have stupid memory, stupid good memory. It's a good thing. And we were just talking. He's like, I remember he would tell us, um, I'm gonna be a sports writer. I'm gonna be like Buck Harvey. Because <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my math teacher who, or my algebra teacher who was a golf coach mm-hmm. and the basketball coach, I would tell him like, or even my um. My English teacher, Mr. Dealey, who was a great teacher, um, they're like, oh, so you're going to be like Buck Harvey. And a 17-year-old me is like, who the fuck is Buck Harvey? And they're like, you need to read his stories. And sure enough, I would read his columns. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy's incredible. So I went and, uh, or so, you know, we're catching up. I actually spoke to him earlier because I interviewed the Roosevelt coach, Matt Carroll, um, for a feature story I'm working on. And uh, it's just crazy, like, seeing all these coaches and, um, I covered Brandeis this past weekend, and my buddy Matt Garcia, he went to Lowell with me. He, um, It's weird. I met him. So I went from Stinson Middle School to Lowell. Mm-hmm. I'm from Cooper to Stinson to Lowell. So it's Northside back to SAISD. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I see Matt. I haven't seen him in years. Yeah. So he's a teacher at Stinson, and he coaches football. And um, he's like, you went to Stinson, right? I was like, yeah. So he's like, do you remember Coach Appleby? I was like, yeah. And sure enough, Coach Appleby pulls up. He did, none of those coaches remember me because mm-hmm. this is years ago. And shaved head, right? shorter, bald, or clean cut. Um, so we're just catching up. And I'm like, hey, is Coach so-and-so still there? They're like, yeah. Mm. Like, who else did you have? And we're just catching up. And they're like, well, we're glad you're doing well with your life. <laughs> Which is cool meeting adults that or teachers or right. Figures, yeah, and they're you know they're like, hey man, we're we're rooting for you, man. And they are, yeah, we all are. Yeah, man, it feels good. Feels good. Um, I don't know what other questions people were trying to ask. People were asking me about my upbringing. You know what? We can kind of end it on this note, I guess. Uh, So one of my buddies asked a good question on the Instagram questions. That Mm -hmm. was very redundant, but I don't care. (laughs) Okay. Um, he asked me what it was, what it was like growing up in different parts different parts of town mm-hmm. so I lived in the 07 zip code for 15 years and then um, but in the middle of that um, I think early in the podcast I'm saying uh, when we lived with my grandma uh, my mother gets really ill and by then she already had like four overdoses and so her going to the hospital I'm like she's gonna be fine again yeah so she gets her we come to find out that she needs to get her toes on her left foot amputated or right foot. I always forget. And um, and then my grandma dies. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, shit, we're homeless again. So it's just me and my two sisters because my other sister is living with her girlfriend at the time. So we're just going from house to house. And um, I remember that summer I was supposed to um, spend 07 summer with my cousin who was a drug dealer. Um, but... <laughs> This is a big time drug dealer, but he would always take us to Six Flags. 
He was the first person to take me to Six Flags. I've mm. never been. So summer 06, he took us. He got his passes. And I remember at my grandma's funeral, he's like, hey, you want to renew those passes or what? I was like, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> so I remember my first day staying with him. Um, his wife is like, hey, um, Luis. Luis is my middle name. Um, Luis has got to go. Um, Rosalina's going to pick him up at Gracie's house. And my Aunt Grace is the one who we're staying with temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what? Like, What do you mean she's going to pick me up? And she, um, my cousin's wife's like, yeah, apparently you're going to live with him now. I was like, what the fuck? Like, no one told me about this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so sure enough, we, we pull up to, um, they drop me off at my tia's house. And then my other tia pulls up in her expedition. And I wrote this in my blog. Um, it felt like the Fresh Prince, the intro. Yeah. He gets picked up. He's going from the west side, going to um, the north side. So we, I, we went in with my uncle, my Uncle Bob, who's my mom's in-law. Mm-hmm. He's Uncle Phil. At that time, he was this real estate mogul. Like, dude made stupid money. So they had a, a five-bedroom house, two-story house, in this gated community called Creekview Forest. They don't live there anymore, so I'm fine saying where it was at. So it was right there off of 1604 and Bandera in that general area. Mm-hmm. So it was like a huge culture. Like, just driving over there was a culture shock. Sure. We pull up, you know, and here I am. You know, I'm in Bel Air, north side of San Antonio. I'm going to start going to Stinson. Uh, Stinson was great. I made some great friends there, some cool people. Um, Isaac Thornton, Sean, Matt, Lindsay. Um, shoot, who else do I know from there? Yeah, there's a lot of cool people that I met there. Uh, but living there, it was, it was different. Um, and I always, looking back, and I referred to like this one, uh, this one rapper named J. Cole. There's a song where he says, Mama, Mama got us out the hood, but we're still ghetto. <clears throat> and I'm like, damn. I heard that as an 18-year-old, but as an 11-year-old moving to the north side, or 12-year-old moving to the north side, um, I wish I would have heard that as a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. Because, and I knew that because I knew, like, this isn't our fortune. This is my uncle's fortune. This is his house. This is not house. Right. We're just here until my mom, literally and figuratively speaking, gets up on her feet, gets up back on her feet. And then we move back to the west side, which we did. We moved back to the west side. I ended up going to low middle school because Cooper, my middle school that I went to, closed down. Mm. And I remember, um, I remember moving back. We moved back. Uh, two weeks before my 14th birthday. And everyone thinks I'm the smartest kid. Like, I moved back to the west side. I'm here at Lowell. And I'm like, I'm not smart. Like, we learned this shit back in October. Like, mm-hmm. how are you guys barely on this? Like, I don't know. It baffled me as a 14-year-old. Like, what the fuck? Or a 13-year-old about to be 14. I'm like, what the hell? They're like, oh, you're so smart. I was like, I'm not smart. Like, I'm really not smart. Like, I was like one of the, the lower tier students over there at Stinson. Oh. And then sure enough, you know, when um, the fallout of my father happens when I'm 17, um, I kind of realize it again. Mm-hmm. Um, this time I'm living in Alamo Heights. Um, I'm, I take the bus to school. So I'm taking the bus to SAC. So I take about two or three buses, depending on which route I take. Unfortunately for me, the bus stop was like literally in the. It was weird. We're in this nice neighborhood, and there's a bus stop there. I was. I thought it was so random, but I guess it was for like people who are nannies or something. I right. don't know. I don't know. They were very calculated on on that 
specific bus stop. Mm-hmm. It was weird. And so it, I would take the 647, take me to um, the North Star. Okay. That would take me to, I'd take either the three or four. If you take the three, it skips a lot, so it's faster. But if you take the four, you hit every stop. It takes you to sack. But if I missed that bus, I would run from my house to Austin Highway, which is like a 30-minute walk. But I would I would run there in like 12 minutes mm. with my backpack. Yeah. And I would catch the 14, right? Yeah, it was the 14. 14 or the 10, one of those. And that would take me downtown, and that would take me to another um, – bus and take me to another one and then I get there not everybody can um, talk about riding a bus I know the transfers and now mine is different yeah mine was in Omaha Nebraska during the ice age oh shit in the winters yeah but um, it always always have an appreciation with being able to jump in the car even after all these years man I you know so I understand where you're coming from with that you know but um, <laughs> um, is there a question you know like we do yeah when we finish our stories is there a question that I didn't ask you uh, during this uh, this session that uh, I, don't, I don't even know man like <laughs> I honestly don't know like there's this deserves like so many parts because like there's just so much to talk about, especially with me. That's why I was afraid about this because I was afraid of this because there's just so much to talk about. Like, there's so much that's happened to me. Oh my gosh, it's it's crazy. So that's why when people were begging for that episode, I'm like, oh, this episode at least, I was scared or yeah, I was I was really worried. Um, I don't know, people. Oh, someone. Uh, what? Okay. Well, what's the one thing? that you would like the listeners to take away from it? You know, with all the questions that we've you've answered, what's the one thing that you want folks to take away from, you know, this this uh, podcast about you? I just want people to understand that, like, I'm this kid who, I mean, I'm a man now, but I'm, I'm this kid who, I don't, I don't think there's any point in my life in... It's very sad to say that I don't think there's any point in my life where I feel like I've been free of um, obstacles internal. But that's everybody. But, like, I feel like there wasn't a moment where I, I felt at peace. Where there's there's nothing um, going on in my brain where I, I'm, like, overthinking. Like, I want to be – I want to get a point in my life where I don't overthink um, too much. Mm-hmm. I want to get a point in my life where – I can just sit down and be like, everything's actually great right now. Um, there's times where I said it, and then I'm like, nah, this, this isn't really great. And I'm not taking anything for granted um, in my life because everything that's happened made me who I am. Everything great in my life is, and you know, I'm, I'm happy for it. Um, there's some good people rooting for me. There's some um, good friends. There's some friends that um, that aren't in my life anymore that did good for me, mm-hmm. you know, when they were in my life. Um, I just want people to know that I'm someone who who cares about other people. Um, I genuinely do, especially those who don't have a voice, especially those who um, are taking advantage of, especially those who don't have a certain platform. Mm-hmm. I don't have the largest platform, but for some reason, people want to listen to me. People want to see me. 
It's weird. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, just a normal guy. I just. I'm interested in a lot of things. I'm interested in people's stories. Um, I just want to see people win. I want to see this city win, because it. I can't honestly like. The only thing that makes San Antonio great are the people. Yeah. Like the city itself, I cannot sit here and honestly tell you that it's a great city, because you know. When you think about economic inequality, when you think about you know the um, these and everything that's that comes from that term, because there's a lot that comes from that term, mm-hmm. um, the the racism, because um, it does exist. Just because we're a brown city doesn't mean racism doesn't exist. Because I got some cousins that you know they they make some jokes and it's like that's not funny. Yeah. Like, like we're we're not in the fucking Stone Age anymore. Like there's there's people that have feelings there's people that even though it you may not give a shit about it they're being affected by certain things um and me i try not to like be like a savior or anything i just try like i just try to highlight the people who can be a saver who can be like someone who can change the tide like if they do anything that has to do with with women's issues mm-hmm. i'm going to give a voice to any woman that has like that that will that needs to be heard. Um, if I ever do a story on women's issues, there will I can promise you there will not be a straight male in that damn story because <laughs> he does not need to be in that damn story. Um, but even at that, like I want more people say like we want more writers of color, <laughs> which is great to say, but it's like push for it, right? You know, talk to your white bosses or talk to your recruiters or whatever and find these people because San Antonio should have like, it should be a rainbow in this damn newsroom. Like when you see the folks, I mean, yeah, there's diversity here. Right. There, there is diversity here. You know, you have older folks, younger folks, you have, you know, um, but you know, Vincent Davis and Terrence should not be the only black men here, you know? Um, or what's her name? The, the young lady that took Ashley. the picture. Ashley, Ashley should not be the only black woman here. Mm-hmm. Like, we have a whole part of town that's heavily populated by black people or different parts of town. Like, like their stories need to be told, too. And that's why you're here. Yeah. Part of the reason you're here yeah. is to tell those stories. We need, we need a... <laughs> oh, before we wrap up, someone had asked me, who is my favorite spur that's not the big three? Okay. It's Kawhi Leonard. He's probably... This is gonna be a hot take, but like he's probably behind Duncan, the second best spur we ever had. Okay. Yeah. Like, and if Kawhi continues his trajectory, he, um, I don't know. I don't want to say he because I loved him Duncan to death, but Kawhi is a damn good player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a he's a bad dude. Once he gets that MVP, like he's he's all time great. But I don't care what anyone says. Um. I'm going to do a speed round from by myself. Like, music. Um, don't listen to Logic. He is awful. Um, and I'm going to piss off my, my buddies who love Frank Ocean's Blonde. Blonde is... What, what, what's today's date? It is November 6, 2019, and Blonde is still a disappointment. Wow. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> burn a neighborhood down, don't you? Go uh, ahead, burn it down. Kendrick Lamar is still the best rapper in the game. Okay. Um, let's see. SZA is still one of the most gifted artists that we have right now at this moment. 
Xavier Omar is a rising star that everyone needs to watch out for because he's a bad dude and he's from the 210. Um, let's see. Um, watch wrestling because that means I'll have one more friend who watches wrestling. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what else to say. I'm talking my shit. This is the seg- This is the talk your ish segment that I do. Um, Vince finished his coffee like three hours ago. <laughs> and I'm He's like killing keeping, me, man. I'm killing him. He's my killing man needs me. his caffeine. That's all right. Um, but thank you, Vince, for no man helping thank narrate you this for uh, letting me you know take part uh, once again. And uh, hopefully, folks will have an idea, a picture of just who you are and why you do what you do. Yeah, and if you guys have any more questions, if you want to know more about more about me. Uh, you can tweet me or IG me at SportsGuyJose. Um, that's also my email, so just put at Gmail. Where <laughs> uh, you can find me in the hood. Uh, shout out Barrio Barista. Shout out San Juan. Shout out Vincent Davis. Where can they find you, Vincent? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. What's your handle? Vincent Davis, at Vincent Davis Twitter. And just Vincent T. Davis Facebook and Vincent Davis Instagram. Read his stories. They're amazing. They're wonderful. That wraps it up for episode 13. Oh, my gosh. I thought your episode was the longest. I think mine's the longest now. (laughs) I wonder why. Dang, I'm trying to one-up you, dude. I'm just joking. I'm joking. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Stay brown.